listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since So we are here this morning. I have my uh, triangle with one eye amulet on and my candle snuffers on my fingertips. <laughs> ready to, <laughs> ready to, I don't know what those things are called. Those things that put out candles. Those, that's what it looked like to me. Anyway, you'll get, you'll hear about that a little later. So hang on. I got to take my very <laughs> thick fake blue contacts out so I can read my notes. Yes. Yes. All right. So once again, we are back. This is the GGTMC. I'm your host of Samurai across the border. Border, border across the border from me is my good pal Big Willie. Heidi Ho. So we are back with some film coverage, and uh, this week we are covering uh, uh, "Don't Play with Fire." The uh, how did I say his name? Should I say just, it? Just say Choi Hawk. That's the, yeah. The Choi Hawk is the way you're supposed to say his name. Some of you might know him as uh, Sui Hark or Sue Hark or whatever the case. Some of you might know him as the director of two very bad Van Damme movies. <laughs> <laughs> but he has made a lot of good films outside of those Van Damme movies. So yes. Uh, so, yeah, Don't Play the Fires, Category 3 Hong Kong film. So look forward to some grimy, uh, nihilistic cinema t- uh, conversation coming up. And we also covered, in a, in a weird bit of coincidence, uh, we uh, happened upon uh, just, and I remember last week when I said, you know, I didn't know really what I want to cover. I didn't have the roadmap in front of me. I just kind of mentioned all the colors of the dark. I had no idea that Bill and them were going to be covering, and honestly, uh, you know, Bill didn't have any idea we were going to be covering it either. So it is what it is. Uh, outside the cinema covered all the colors of dark. Now you're going to hear the G. If you listen to this show, you're going to hear the GGTMC version of our, our our review of all the colors of dark from Sergio Martino, one of my favorite Italian directors, and certainly one of the most overlooked when it comes to certain genres, in my opinion. So yes, and it should be said, <laughs> this is our third Martino now. Yeah, this is Hands of Steel, where he was Martin Dolman, right? Yep. And uh, Torso. And there'll be more Martino because he's got a oh, lot yeah. of great stuff in there, a lot of good stuff. So, oh, yeah. there'll be more Martino. The guy looks good for his age too, man. I gotta say. Oh fuck, does he ever, man? That guy's aged well. <laughs> yeah, he has. All right, so uh, that's what we're covering. That's what we're doing. Uh, let's see what we've been watching. So. All right, so I've watched a lot of garbage this week. <laughs> a lot of garbage. Well, hey. It just seemed like I didn't have much downtime where I could put on something more cerebral. Yes. Uh, it, you'll see a lot of times. During the day when my son's awake, I put on a really rompy action film just because I need to put something on that's not going to require me to pay complete attention. It's a good move. Yeah. Yeah. I still, you know, I kind of win both ways. I get to watch something, but I don't, you know, I kind of be frustrated at not knowing what's going on. So speaking of garbage, I watched Blood Freak. (laughs) This is the pro-Christian, anti-drug. Anti-chicken. Anti-chicken, bloody exploitation film. Oh, wow. Uh, with a man featuring the greatest pompadour outside of Elvis. <laughs> yeah. I have not seen Blood Freak in forever. That was one of those infamous, uh, it's one of those infamous cult films that everybody tries to throw on you. Yeah, but it, it's it's entertaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Uh, the, the women in it, I think that was shot in Florida, actually, speaking of Florida. Um, the women in it are pretty hot. This one sister looks like a really hot version of, of uh, a hot, tanned version of China. That may not make any sense, but if you've seen it, you'll know what I mean. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, so Blood Freak. I watched Violence for Kicks, which is a um, Antonio Sabato Euro crime film I've been meaning to see for a long time. It was uh, a dubbed version. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the dub really, really took me out of the film. Is that the, the is that a Cinema Day Bazaar film? Yeah, they have it. It's the poster with the 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 person in the motorcycle helmet. Uh, yeah, I thought about covering that for the next uh, roadmap. I thought about maybe not very good. It, okay. But again, the, the the dub is just it's dreadful. Um, now this next one, very quickly. If I told you that I watched a film with a henchman named Mister Marcus, <laughs> uh, it had a motorcycle with dual rocket launchers. Nice. The lead wore a motorcycle helmet that was as big as the helmets worn by the guards in Spaceballs. <laughs> and it featured lots of nudity, martial arts, and window smashing by way of motorcycle. And it comes from Indonesia. What would you say? I would say it's the greatest film ever made. <laughs> you might be right. It is final score directed by Indonesian god director Arizal, starring one Chris Mitchum. Yes. <laughs> this thing is fucking incredible. <laughs> I saw the first 20, 15, 20 minutes of this at your house before we went out to see a screening of something, and I never returned to it when we came back. So I, I got to get it. I think it's not on our next roadmap, unfortunately, but man, it's incredible. <laughs> well, really? some of those Chris Mitchum films are pretty, pretty incredible. Some of those ones he made in Indonesia and overseas. Oh, it's just insane, man. Uh, I, I rewatched The Road for the third time. Uh, let me just say that it crushed me and my wife this time. Nice. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't mean nice in that way. You know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, know what you mean. <laughs> uh, I, I watched another kind of garbagey film put out by something weird video called Confessions of a Psycho Cat. Oh, yeah. You were telling me about this. Is this any good? Uh, not really. It's okay. It got a lot of nudity for a mid-60s film, man. Oh, nice. A nudity, some bush. I mean, really surprising. But <laughs> the thing I like about it is... Yeah, it's some, the most dangerous game thing, but it's a woman hunting three men in New York City. Uh, and one of the men is Jake LaMotta, the real Jake LaMotta, playing a wrestler. Uh, it's a fantastic <laughs> bit shot overhead in some alleyways behind an apartment building where he's almost like a bull. And she's got a matador outfit on it. She's stabbing him with those swords. Oh, wow. <laughs> it looks really wild, man. But but other than that, it's kind of dull in spots, but there's some, some pretty good nudity, like I said. Um I watched what is probably my pick of the week, uh, and that's a film I think you enjoyed, and I absolutely adored this film, and that's from Paris with Love. Well, I'm glad you like this because it's kind of a throwback to the like simple heroic bloodshed. This is a simple act, and not not so much dramatic as the heroic bloodshed stuff, but it's a very simple action movie. Oh. I mean, uh, what's his name? Morel, I think, gets it right. This film is amazing. It reminds me why I like Travolta as much as he's hammy and he's chewing it up. Oh, he's, having a, he's like, having a blast in this one. Oh, I mean, he's just shooting a bazooka out of an Audi. <laughs> I mean, it's just ridiculous. But I'll tell you the line that is one of the greatest. It's easily one of my favorite lines in movies for the past few years. Um, what's his name? Uh, Jonathan Rees. What's his name? Myers or Evans? Uh, it's, John, it's Jonathan Rees. Myers, right? Yeah, I think it's John yeah. Myers. I, don't, I can't remember. They're talking about their childhood, and uh, Reese Myers says, "You know, I grew up uh, in a building. I watched a lot of Star Trek. I was a big Star Trek fan." And uh, Travolta's character goes, "Nice." He goes, "Kirk or Spock?" And uh, Reese Myers goes, "Uhura." And I think that was such a great poke at the homoeroticism in genre films. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> just, I mean, it just showed morale gets it. Uh, there's a few nice references to a few other iconic Travolta roles. I love this film. It's it's 85 to 90 minutes long. Amazing, fun, it, fun, fun. Yeah, perfect length. Uh, and it's it's not, it's not a masterpiece, but it's perfect for what it is. 
Oh, absolutely, man. It knows what it is. It's mm-hmm. just, it's a lot of fun, man. It was, yeah. I had a lot of fun when I watched it. Uh, I watched Forced Vengeance, the Chuck Norris film. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it, it's outstanding. It's got a really nice Hong Kong backdrop. There's a really cool scene where he's fighting. It's just his shadow, and uh, they're fighting against the neon backdrop. Uh, it was directed by the guy that did uh, Every Which Way But Loose. Uh, fun little film. Well, fun little film. Good film. Um, I'd never seen it actually. Strangely enough, is he wearing uh, is he wearing uh, beige jeans in that one too? Probably. He's or, got the the jacket with the leather elbow pads. So. Got a cowboy hat on. Of course. Oh yes, yes, yes. Of course. His name's Josh in it. Yeah, they, <laughs> that's not a good name, but that's kind of a precursor to uh, Walker Texas Ranger, I think, a little bit. It, it's not a, well. It's not a good tough guy name. No offense, Josh, a very celluloid frame. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. When you get your big action hero comes in, the name Josh doesn't really do it. You got to have a name like you know, like Mason Storm or Gino Felino. Yeah, Josh is more of like a teen heartthrob name to me. Yes, there you go. Again, all due respect, Josh. Uh, and then I decided to watch some Van Damme, and I watched Death Warrant. It's so um, weird you mentioned that. I almost watched that this week. It's so weird. <laughs> oh, I think you and I were talking about it, and I had it on my Let me throw it on. Me and my wife watched it, actually. And it's got Robert Guillaume slumming it as a one-eyed, hardened criminal. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, it's got what's, I can't think of the guy's name. He was in Class of 1999. He plays the Sandman in it. Um, this film kind of started out slow for me, you know, but it but, really gets rolling and has a pretty nice finish. Yeah, that shows. actor's name is uh, Patrick Kilpatrick. I knew it was something. <laughs> I thought it was like Adam McAdam or Neil McNeil. I knew it was something where his first name was repeated, unfortunately. Yeah. Patrick but he's Kilpatrick. pretty good uh, with the physical physical stuff again. Um, and then I watched uh, the infamous uh, Wu-Tang influ- influence, Wu-Tang Clan influenced the mystery of chess boxing featuring one Ghostface Killer in Pai Mei. Nice. So yeah, good stuff, man. Good stuff. I hadn't seen that in a very since probably grade nine or ten. So it's good. good stuff. Good man. It's a good week again. I'm I'm really happy that you liked From Paris with Love. I think that movie's oh. kind of getting shit on, and uh, you know it's it's right up a people who love the movies that the GGTMC love. I think they'll enjoy it because it's it's right up their alley with the hammy acting and the fun action. Just it's just a. I mean, it really just it starts and it just gets going and it just doesn't end until it ends. It's a really simple movie. Oh, yeah, I'll back it, man. Like you said, anyone who likes the movies we like will like this film a lot. Yes, I think so. All right, uh, I didn't watch as much as you. Uh, again, I was cleaning up some stuff with school and stuff, and, uh, you know, with the baby on the way, I'm trying to uh, prepare one of the rooms for <laughs> the eventual presence of another person. So it's uh, not been, you know, as much free time as I would like. So, But, hey, that's that's life for you. But I did squeeze in some, uh, some stuff. It's a couple of good ones, uh, or a couple of okay ones. And uh, one guilty pleasure that uh, I know you're going to be happy to hear about. Here uh, we go. I watched White Out. This is the Kate Beckinsale movie. It, mm. came, it came from Netflix. It wasn't something I pursued, but it was something on my queue, and it came in Blu-ray. Uh, that's just, it's just really boring. That's its biggest downfall. It's, uh, good source material. I read the comic a long time ago. The, the comic was good. I was hoping it'd be decent. It's just, it's just boring. That's the biggest problem it has. Just boring. That's too bad. I, I watched a three-hour documentary or not documentary a three-hour concert film (laughs) by a a black metal band known as dark funeral (laughs) it's called a terra orbis terrarum terrarum something like that i don't know anyway this is not up anybody's alley unless you're a black metal fan so the black metal fans out there you uh you know where i'm coming from anybody else uh i would probably avoid this I think i won't be seeing it anytime (laughs) soon no will you would not like this (laughs) i mean i want to see that documentary uh let me into the light. I don't know whatever it's yeah, called. Yeah, that yeah. stuff looks cool because it's like it, they're going to inform me a little bit. But shit like that, a three-hour. Yeah, I mean, you, movie. yeah, you got to really be into. Well, it was three different concerts uh, over three different uh, countries. Anyway, it was on Netflix. Instant watch. 
I was in the mood to watch some music, some you know, because I'm a bit of a musician, so I, I wanted to watch some uh, music playing. I was like, well, I like Dark Funeral a little bit. I'll check this out. It was you know good for what it was, but uh, yeah, not up your alley, surely. No. <laughs> Uh, I watched, uh, weirdly, I watched uh, Star Chaser, The Legend of Aura, and this is the uh, nice. 80s ripoff of uh, Star Wars, and the animated version. This is, uh, <laughs> it's really not very good. I remember seeing this in the theater when I was a kid in 3D with the blue and red glasses. Oh, wow. So I remember seeing it, and then I remember then I hated 3D, and I don't know why I still think 3D is, can be interesting sometimes. It just, I, I just, it doesn't work for me, so <laughs> maybe it's my eyes. And then finally, and then again, this I didn't watch much this week. Well, if you count the three-hour metal thing there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I watched, I finally got caught up with Ninja Assassin. Nice. What's finally the word, up. Big Bird? You know, I, I, I really liked it, man. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, I don't think it's, you know, it's not a masterpiece by any stretch of the imagination, but Matigue knows how to shoot action. And uh, the, the CGI blood might get on some people's nerves, but the amount of gore in the first 10 minutes of this thing is ridiculous. I mean, you would not believe the stuff that happens to people with <laughs> with weapons in this film. I mean, it is ridiculous. People in this film are literally made of sponge cake. They just fall wow. apart. <laughs> I got to see this. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh Shokazugi was great. It's great to see him again. Rain is exceptional. Um Oh, that's the actor, by the way, not not the actual uh, weather event. Uh, it, it was a lot of fun, you know. I mean, it's not a, it's not a, it's not as good as from Paris with Love. Let me let me say. But if I was to score it, I'd probably give it like a six point two five or six point five. Uh, but I liked it. It airs on the side of a good six point five because it's a very simple film. The action is insane, uh, and uh, there's a great scene where ninjas are chasing people through traffic, and people are jumping off of cars and shit and getting hit by cars. Just insane, man. Oh wow. Uh, see this man yeah well Matig, you know i mean i know you like v for vendetta i liked it too i think Matig is a very good action director man and uh this is again it's not a masterpiece but i think it's a very solid little b action movie so i still want to see the scott adkins isaac florentine ninja movie though too to compare was that the one that's called ninja yeah yeah i think uh uh force whitaker's neck i think he saw that I, I still haven't seen that one yet either so i need to check that one out but you know, it was good to see a ninja movie, and uh, this one's all about the assassination and the blood and the guts. This one isn't about, and there's there's a little shoehorned, uh, there's some shoehorned love stuff in there. That's kind of that's really the biggest downfall. There's some drama that doesn't need to be there, but uh, the training sequences are exceptional. And uh, Shokazugi, man, he's <laughs> it's just it's just interesting. Love me some show. Yeah, love some show. But that's all I really got around to watching, other than the films for the show. So hopefully, I'll get some more in next week. Who knows? I got a feeling painting is coming. So. Yeah, we've been there, man. Yep. I, I I didn't want to see pistachio colored paint ever again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, I'm just thankful it, in a way, and uh, I told my wife this. I was thankful it's it's a boy again because I know the colors will be more uh, muted or they'll be more. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Kind of you know, kind of soothing colors, whereas opposed to most uh, guys I know or most families I know, when they have a female, a young little girl, they they sometimes decide to paint the room in bright, kind of pretty colors. Yeah, more headache-inducing. Uh, my brother, I'll say this on the air, my brother, when he had his the first daughter, he decided to paint her bedroom a color called Strawberry Ice. Oh, wow. And I remember this color because it was the pinkest fucking pink, and it drove me insane painting this room with him. It just drove me insane, and I'll never, ever look at strawberries again. <laughs> 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 All right, that is it. So we're going to take a break, and we'll come back with some film coverage. Uh, we want to cover first. Uh Let's cover Don't Play With Fire first. I got a lot of notes on that. Okay, let's do it. All right, we'll cover Don't Play With Fire. We'll be back right after this.
is the end of another award season, and we are going out classy. And classic. It is time for the Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards. Talk about classy. This is the eighth annual Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards, honoring the best in monster research, creativity, and film preservation. Like I said, classy. If you head over to RondoAward.com, you can find the ballot for all the nominees in all the different categories. And we've got categories like Best Movie of 2009, Best Television Program, Best DVD TV Presentation, Best DVD Commentary, Independent Productions, Magazines, Magazine Covers, all right, all right. Magazine Articles, all right. Podcasts. <laughs> Yeah, they cover everything. You do. Head over to RondoAward.com, and while you're filling out your ballot, you're going to be taking notes, because there's all sorts of books and magazines and movies that you're going to want to see based on their nominees. You're going to lose hours of your life, but you're going to love it. RondoAward.com is a classic, fantastic resource. What headshot rating would Mail Order Zombie give? Mail Order Zombie would give the Rondo Hatton Awards... Five headshots out of five. <laughs> Make sure you guys head over to Rondo Award. That's R O N D O A W A R D dot com and vote. Voting continues through April 3rd, 2010. You don't have to vote in every category and only one vote per monster. Winners announced April 4th. I can't wait to see who wins. <laughs> I mean, come here, look at these magazine covers. These are pretty. <laughs> seriously, look. <laughs> Turned off the radio Said, where did all of the old songs go? Kids sure play funny music these days They play it in the strangest way Said, it looks to me like they've all gone wild It was peaceful back when I was a child Well, man, could it be that the girls and boys Are trying to be heard above your noise And the lonely voice of you cries What is true? Yeah, we are back from break. Uh, what is what is truth, Will? What is truth? That's a good question, Sammy. I don't think we have enough time to answer, but that is my favorite singer asking what is truth. Yeah, what that's a very philosophical question. I don't know if we, nobody, no podcast has time to answer that question. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. So we are back with some coverage here. And I didn't say what year these films are from, but Don't Play the Fires from 1980. And I uh, believe that uh, All the Colors of the Dark is from 72. So. Yippers. All right, so uh, I'll let you kick it over to you and give me a plot synopsis if you can find one, which you will not be able to find one on IMDb for Don't Play With Fire. Uh, let me try to do this. Um, Don't Play With Fire, also known as D. Yi Li Zing Wei Zian. <laughs> Whoa. I'm sure my Cantonese isn't what it used to be. Also, another Mar- uh, there's another American title, right? Dangerous Encounters of the First Kind. Yes. Uh, this film is really it's a very bleak, nihilistic film. It is about... Uh, three disaffected youths um, who take to making bombs as a hobby, and along the way they get tangled up with a very morbidly obsessed girl who is much more violent than they are. And yes, yes. In this, they get tangled up with some, some nasty Westerners, and uh, the cops get involved, and gloom and doom ensue. 
Yes. <laughs> um, I do want to say before I kick it over to you, Sammy, talking about Choi Hawk, Sweetheart, whatever people know him as, mm-hmm. you had mentioned this. I don't know if it was on the air or off the air. What a shame it is. He is not mentioned alongside the, the John Woo's as much because as much as John Woo was, was the king of, of the uh, hero of bloodshed, it's Choi Hawk who really started the genre. Choi Hawk is one of the greatest filmmakers to ever come out of Hong Kong yep. in terms of influence uh, and trend setting. Uh, his first film, Butterfly Murders, is one we're going to cover at some point. It has very much giallo elements. Um, he brought back the Wuxia film. It wasn't very popular. Ghost stories he made very popular again. He directed the Once Upon a Time in China uh, series, which you know, are just some incredible mm-hmm. uh, period piece martial arts films. And I just think everyone, although he's made a lot of shitty films, i.e. the denim jean salesman, buddy uh, action comedy with Schneider and, and Van Damme. He made two uh, of them, yeah, Double Team and Knockoff. I think he made the Dennis Rodman one as well. Oh, yeah, he did. You're right. So as much as he made some shit, he also is one of the most influential filmmakers who we all owe a debt of gratitude to for those of us that like Hong Kong cinema of the yes, 80s. So yes, yes. With that being said, let me kick it over to you, and I'm very curious to see what you think of this film. Yeah, it's very interesting when I saw this film because uh, I know he made a couple of... Uh, and do you want to explain uh, maybe a little bit uh, Category 3 to some of our listeners who might not understand what Category 3 films are from Hong Kong? Yeah, certainly my understanding, and, and I may not be... Oh, we got to mention one person in the cast here, too, before we get rolling. Uh the, the the films go category one, category two, category three. Category three is is almost like an X rating, if not like an X rating in Hong Kong. Yep. It's for films that have brutal violence, and now uh, they have a lot of triad uh, culture in them, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. organized crime culture. But category three is stuff like Ebola syndrome, untold story. I mean, I'll tell you, category three stuff. If it's category three in Hong Kong. Uh, for for violent content, it's going to be brutal stuff. Yeah, kind of morally uh, bankrupt, maybe. <laughs> oh, yeah, but but you see, interestingly, this is the third film that Bruce Barron features in. Uh, wow, he of Plastic Skull fame. Yes, was he the one with the aviators and the uh, yes. open shirt? That was him, wasn't it? Yes, that was the Baron. What he was in <laughs> Raiders, and what was the other one he was in? Uh, that ninja movie, Ultimate Ninja. Yes, so the Baron. Popping up for the third, the Baron Bruce Barron has been on our show more than Charles Bronson. <laughs> not on purpose, though. We're not we're not pursuing Bruce Barron films. He just kind of happens into stuff. Uh, he, he, of course, you know, he's in one Godfrey Ho film, which means he could be in twenty Godfrey Ho films, and then, but he is Plastic Skull, which we joke around about all the time. I, I think there's even an infamous voicemail to OTC about the Plastic Skull from the Plastic Skull, I should say. That was yeah. I left that because I thought uh, the Plastic Skull was poorly. Slammed, uh, unfairly slammed. He needed to defend himself, and since he was too busy presiding over Atlantis, I needed to do it for him. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, this is uh, this is the film that uh, Sui Hark or Su Hak or whatever you want to say, and you know he is of uh, Vietnamese uh, descent. Actually, uh, I think he was in Vietnam for like the first uh, 10, 12, 14, 15 years of his life, and then he moved to China. So a very interesting uh, man. Uh, Forty three films, and uh, looks like. Uh, 30 years, 31 years, uh, I think, maybe, yeah, 80, 90, yeah, 31, no, I was at 40 years, 43 films in 40 years, I don't know, he's going to be 60 years old, man, I can't believe Sui Hark's that old, so, uh, not that that's old, that's only 23 or 30, fuck, I'm just going to stop doing math on the air, that's right now, 
It's terrible. Yes. Uh, anyway, he, I know that he may were going to eat you, which I believe Cinema Diabolica, oddly enough, who's a, kind of made a reappearance. I think they covered that a long time ago, didn't they? Was it them or was it outside the cinema that covered it? I think it was outside the cinema. One of them. One of them, yeah. We're going to eat you, came And I remember I was going to check that out. I never got around to it. And then I remember looking into his filmography and I saw Don't Play With Fire and I was like, oh, I wonder what that's all about. I need to check that out. And I saw his Category 3 film and it was next to impossible to get. But here we are. Now we're covering it. And just kind of came out of nowhere. So. And of course, there's uh, the infamous uh, uh, Miles film. Uh, I love Maria is on is, on, is in his filmography as well. So the Robo, oh, yeah. he, he, Robo he's got horse. some garbage. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. But he's also got some masterpieces. So he's all over the place. But uh, very interesting filmmaker. Uh, but yeah, this is uh, the first Category Three film I think for the GGTMC. So we'll talk about. It. Is it is it the first? I think Exiled might have been for the the organized crime content. I don't remember. Even though that's hardly in in me and your eyes, that's hardly category three for us. This is more category three for me because there's some there's some awful shit in this film, awful awful shit. Uh, but I don't remember Exiled having awful awful stuff in it. Uh, but maybe I'm just so used to gangsters. I don't know. Uh, okay, so. Um, I'll explain that uh, you know I am a huge fan of Sweetheart. Uh, I, I do like his films quite a bit. I think he has a great uh, visual sense. I love the way he moves a camera, even when he doesn't need to move a camera. He moves a camera. <laughs> can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. <laughs> oh, I think I just lost him. Here we go. Coverage already starting off on a, on a hit. Uh, let's see what happens here. Let's get uh, Large William back on the call here. All right. Okay, so here we are. No, there was some problems, obviously. I, I apologize for that. I don't no know what happened. Anyway, uh, okay, I'll just get back into it here. Uh, sometimes, you know, the thing about Category 3 films that I find the most disturbing is the fact that they kind of they kind of, they kind of wallow in the shit. They, oh, don't, yeah. they don't just show you the shit. I mean, that'd be, that, that's kind of, you know, like in America, you know, you get a rated X for, you know, for something as simple as a penis shot, which is ridiculous, but... Uh, in in these films, they're category three for a reason, and they're even pretty hardcore for American taste. Uh, you know, I, I actually I'd say they're even more hardcore. That what they remind me of is Italian cinema from the late seventies and early eighties. You know, some of the cannibal films and stuff. Some Fulci at his most brutal. Yeah, they remind me of that kind of uh, that movement that kind of went through the nastiness of Italian cinema that a lot of us are familiar with. A lot of us genre fans are familiar with with your cannibal holocaust and your. And your full cheese, and you know, this is the kind of negativity that was going through that uh, that cinema at the time, the kind of nastiness, and uh, they really, they real, they really kind of, uh, kind of, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but they really kind of just revel in the fucking uh, the cruelty of uh, humanity and spots. And uh, of course, those of you who are familiar with, you know, the other films we'll mention, or some of the other category three films, you know exactly what we're talking about. So, but. Uh, I'll talk about the story a little bit. It's typically something we don't really do a whole lot on the show, but I just want to kind of talk about it a little bit, kind of give people an idea. You got your three boys, or young men, and uh, this is controversial enough that they just kind of make bombs and they uh, kind of blow them up in public places and stuff. And uh, I don't think, and, it's, and it's not even for political motivation. Yeah. They're bored. It's for entertainment, for kicks. Yeah, and that's disturbing enough, right then and there. I mean, that's already disturbing if you ask me, because. Uh, you know, I mean, that doesn't translate well to modern society, I can tell you that, but it didn't even do much. I mean, this is 1980 we're talking about, and, you know, you would you would think uh, that that me alone is a Category 3 type moment because, I mean, the, the danger of that is. But, you know, they're looking for thrills, and the three kind of uh, stereotypical geeky boys, very skinny, they got the glasses, you know, and, and then they come upon this girl, 
and you wanted to mention somebody in the cast, so whenever you want to stop me and then mention the person in the cast, I think I know who you're going to talk about. But oh, Well, I, I had actually wanted to mention uh, Bruce Barron. Oh, uh, that was Bruce Barron? I thought uh, you were going to talk about Lee Lowe. Well, no, no, actually I wasn't, although I could. Uh, <laughs> and then even further to that, there was one other name that I was going to mention more as we got to it. Okay. Um, oh, gosh. I thought I maybe that Pearl Chen Chi Lin was in something else we covered, but I don't think she was. It seems like she, she looked familiar, though. Yeah, she has a look. She she does look uh, very familiar. To, I, I don't know where I would have seen her either, to be honest with you. Um, but what I wanted to mention was, I don't know if you noticed this, but did you see uh, who the uncle was uh, in the alleyway? Uh, no, I did it not. Was, it was Han from Enter the Dragon. Ah, oh, whoa, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> How about that? Interesting. Or at least it looked identical to me. I mean, I, I could <laughs> yeah. be wrong, but... Yeah, there's a lot, the thing about Hong Kong cinema is you really got to know your actors. I mean, there's so many actors in Hong Kong cinema that you, it's hard to keep up with them. Yeah, it looked just like Shi uh, Kien to me. I, I could be wrong, but I mean, yeah. fuck, I was. But these three, certain. these three boys are immature and careless, and uh, you know, and they kind of happen upon this girl who's not so much careless as she is just, she's just an awful, awful person. Yeah, she does things in this film that are truly, truly awful. Um, if you're an animal lover, you'll be offended. Uh, even though it is typically with mice, you'll still be offended if you're an animal lover because it's just the cruelty. The cruelty factor of it is what's so awful. And uh, <laughs> cat lovers beware. <laughs> oh, yeah. Cat and mouse lovers beware. And animal lovers beware. Yeah, and that's where, you know, I kind of get those uh, cruelty aspects like you get from, uh, you know, you know, Italian cinema from certain er- eras and stuff. And we talked about this a little bit when I was talking about Paul Nashi and some of his stuff he did, and you you know you talked about that with Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll, there's a gutted pig and that, and I know there's another Nashi film where he burned live rats, which you know he he caught some heat for that. <laughs> what? No pun intended. Yeah, eh? no pun intended. <laughs> I mean, I, don't get me wrong, I know they're vermin, quote unquote, but still, I mean, you know, burn, no, they're living creatures. Yeah. They don't deserve to die, man. Burning an animal alive is uh, still particularly cruel, but some of the stuff she does to these mice is particularly cruel too. There's a uh, I say a great close-up, but it's very awful of something she does to mice or somebody does to mice off camera. Don't know if it was really done. I'm going to assume it was, though, uh, considering how that mouse reacted. Oh, yeah, they stick a pin in the top of the mouse's head. Uh, it's awful. It's fucking brutal, man. It's yeah. really brutal. It's like this thin little pin right into the top of the skull, and it oh. is hard to watch. And I pulled my legs up a little bit like, yeah. and kind of clenched my like my hands to my chest. It was pretty brutal, but... Uh, I'm glad you mentioned Lowly. I forgot to mention Lowly because the film's just so fucking nasty that I yeah, I'd overlooked it. Yeah, yeah. Lowly, he's uh, in a lot of stuff. I think he's in other stuff we've covered. He's been in a ton of films. Lowly is a martial arts legend, and I know he's going to be on our our next roadmap on your end. I think I think with the Stranger and the Gunfighter. Uh, possibly. Yes. Yes. Possibly. possibly. But he's been in so many fucking films. I can't even. Uh, we could uh, pick one of his films. Uh, well, actually, we could cover all of his films and run for about five years. Mm-hmm. He's in 209 credits. Yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately passed away in 2002. So I didn't know that. I didn't know he was dead, actually. Nor did I. Indonesian. And you can tell he's Indonesian, too. Yeah. Um, okay, so we'll get back to the film here. Uh, it's good to know that uh, You Can't Fire Me, I Quit translates in all countries. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed at that. I was like, wow, that is such an American thing to say at a job. You know, you can't fire me, I quit. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Take this job. Yeah, show, yeah exactly. Uh, the first, uh, yeah, you know, the first twenty minutes or so of the film is just like this rapid setup. And I know some of the complaints of the film have been that you know the first fifteen twenty minutes don't make any sense. Now, Sui Hark, he tends to, uh, you know, he's very fast editing, very quick uh, moving around. This film does. Uh, if you're not paying attention, you can get lost in the first fifteen or twenty minutes. But if you pay attention, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's not hard to follow. I think it's very simple to follow. It's just, it's very quick and setting up its uh, basic uh, premise. And uh, very interesting in the way it does it. Now she meets up with these boys because she sees them. Uh, she sees them set off a bomb in a movie theater, uh, which uh, it's a, it's 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 a small bomb, but it's a bomb nonetheless, uh, big enough to cause a, <laughs> a pretty good explosion. So, and it's a bit of a meta moment because, and I think it's this film to me. You know, you and I talked about it being a very angry film, and it's a commentary, I think, on society and Chinese society and mm-hmm. Western infiltration into Chinese society. Um, and just human nature and the cruelty of such. And I told you, I think no way and other people probably would have seen this film and are influenced by it. But the moment in the theater, they're all watching a war film and talking about explosions and war films and, yeah. and all this. And then sure enough, the bomb goes off in the theater. Yeah. And she's there and she sees them and then she kind of follows them and uh, starts hitting them up. And then she kind of basically, what's the word? I guess I'm looking, she kind of encourages them to take their kind of method of joking to another level. Yep. And she does some crazy stuff. They kind of hijack a bus, uh, make people take their clothes off, <laughs> all kinds of craziness. And like most Hong Kong films, as dark as they get, uh, there's you know these kind of goofy, crazy moments of comedy that kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, which th- it's really weird in this film because this film is so nihilistic and so pessimistic. I mean, this is a dark, dark movie. There's yeah. not a lot of positivity going on here. And after you get done watching it, you're not going to really think of the human creature as a very, <laughs> as a very positive animal, to say the least. <laughs> you're gonna, you know, it's 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 a uh, you know like a Sam Peckinpah movie or a, I'm trying to think of somebody else, but it's just very misanthropic, very much like the proposition in films like that where people are, you know, it's it just shows the evilness of people. And when Bruce Barron shows up in the film, it was very funny because I had this moment of a uh, like this weird cross moment of bad '80s action movies popping into Hong Kong cinema. <laughs> Yeah, because he's he's literally got army fatigues on with, and it's open because you know Bruce Barron doesn't believe in wearing a shirt hardly ever, evidently. And uh, you know he's 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 uh, he looks like uh, he looked like uh, something out of that movie we've been talking about lately, the Deadly Prey movie. That's what he looked like. He looked literally like he just came out of that movie. Nice. <laughs> so very interesting. Uh, I, I found the film the pessimism of the film to be very interesting, though. I mean, as, as bad as it is, and this is not going to be for everybody's taste. As bad as it is, and as rough as it is. I think that it, it's a good commentary on how how rough we can be with each other, how how selfish we can be, and and how we ignore people sometimes. Like uh, Lo Lee, he, he he's the brother of the girl in this film, Pearl, and uh, he he kind of he's kind of ignoring the fact because she's his sister, he's kind of ignoring the fact that there's something wrong with this girl, and that's something we tend to do as people. We tend to ignore people that are closest to us might have a problem. You know what I mean? And, you know, it go, it gets to the point where she literally is calling out for help and she's telling him, I'm going to blow this up. And he just, he just, he's so wrapped up and, oh, just dismissing her as a teenager with these silly flights of fancy that he doesn't ever think that maybe she's trying to reach out and, you know, to do something about this. Yeah. And obviously, you know, there's a moment where he could, he could have stopped what ends up eventually happening and stuff, but, uh, you know, it didn't happen. So. I mean, it's really interesting that the film is kind of looked upon as this kind of uh, infamous kind of Category 3, you know, kind of a gore film in some ways, even though it's not really a gore film. It's just more of a cruelty type type thing. So, 
I found it very interesting though that there's some commentary in there and stuff about people and stuff. And that I'll just I won't mention it here, but I'll just mention that uh, I've seen very few cemeteries shot. This this is one of the best uh, oh. cemeteries I've seen shot since uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. I think it's. I think I'll go on record as saying it might be the best cemetery I've seen shot. Yeah, it's pretty it's amazing. Just, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, and I'll talk about it more when we get to make or breaks and stuff. So, because there's a great 20 minutes, or 20 or maybe 25, maybe 15. I don't know somewhere in that range. At the back end of the film, that's fucking amazing. Oh yeah, and really speaks to the gentleman. Let me tell you, because you get you get some '80s action moments. <laughs> you know, a bunch of people running around, sunglasses, beards, and headbands. <laughs> yep, it's the East versus West uh, <laughs> <laughs> action movie moment of the film. It's very interesting. Yeah. But I'll kick yeah. it over to you for your thoughts on the film. Okay, so yeah, again, I'm really again, I'm really glad you brought up Lowly. I don't know why I wasn't going to bring him up. I, I guess just because he played so against type in this film. Mm-hmm. You know, he's running around with a Hawaiian shirt and shorts uh, and a <laughs> yeah. badge. Constantly Most, smoking a cigarette. Constantly. Constantly with a cigarette, man. Um, this film, I think we got to mention, A, it's a great print that there's moments where uh, this film has been heavily cut, but um, Mark over at CDB restored all of the other footage that had been cut out. Now, the footage that's restored is pretty pretty murky, but uh, give credit where it's due. He restored it, so it would be the full, quote-unquote, director's cut. Mm-hmm. Um the soundtrack for this film, of course, is very interesting. Yeah, you know, it's uh, really weird. Is uh, I heard uh, "Destroy the Brains" news music. <laughs> Did you hear that? Yeah, Andy's news music is playing during the uh, during some of the action scenes, and I know that's not Andy's news music, but that's what I always know it as. You know, yeah. I mean, he that's the interesting thing is that Choi Hawk borrows the music from Dawn of the Dead that Goblin did. Yes. <laughs> so that's very interesting. And he also takes a piece of music that Jerry Goldsmith used in Star Trek. I didn't know that piece. I had to look that up. Mm-hmm. But uh, Yeah, when you're watching it, you'll hear music and you'll be like, oh, that sounds familiar. You'll have a lot of moments like that. I think this goes to show, though, um, how good that music that Goblin did for Dawn was because it's used to great effect in this film, too. Yes, yes. Um, this film, right away, we know it's going to be a grim, brutal, unforgiving film. When on the, I think it was on the radio, there's a report of some corpses of some schoolboys were found uh, due to a flood. Yeah. And uh, there's all this talk and just grim, grim stuff right away. And um, yeah, you and the the pin scene at the most early on is you know again just lets you know you better <laughs> know what you're in for here because yeah, right, gonna... right then and there, you know, I think. Yeah, this is within five minutes of the film opening, yep. so. It may not be for you. Right right away, you're going to know what you're in for. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing I love most about this film, I'll come back to it later on, is I love the cinematography. I love, uh, for those of you who don't know, Choi Hawk went to school in America, to film school in New York, and you can very much see, very much see, you can see his, <laughs> his European influence in his cinematography, the European uh, camera use to me. Uh, it's fantastic. He uses this fishbowl lens in spots that looks great. Um, yeah, it's really funny. We had two films that used that lens this week. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> it's it's pretty crazy. But you talked about that cat, and I had to wonder if the cat was real or not. I was leaning towards not real, but it's edited so well that you can't help but think it's real. Yeah, it's going to disturb you. I'm not a, even a cat fan, and it bothered me a lot. Yeah, the cat. Either gets- way, I will say this: that was a real cat that fell from a certain height. Yes, and I know the cats, uh, quote unquote. The the only thing is, you know, the the old wives' tale, whatever it is that you know, cats always land on their feet. I don't know if this cat landed on its feet. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't even want to kind of think about it because it's. Yeah, I don't. Obviously, 
Yeah, I mean, again, cruelty. Yeah, and again, if for art or anything, I don't think there's ever a justifiable reason ever. Not for no, not for real animal cruelty. There's never a reason uh, because no. you can set it up any scene, as uh, you'll see in the second film. You can set up any scene with a fake. Yeah, and the fake looks good in the second film. Yeah, but, uh, and the fake works, and I don't understand why anybody would ever have to use something real ever. No. No, and again, unless it's this meta statement, the disregard for for life, I don't know. But even then, again, it's ridiculous. There's no need; it's inexcusable. But um, the cinematography, I love the shot when the camera's pulling through that really narrow chain link corridor where all those boys were hanging out. Oh yeah, yeah, that's great. There's a lot of stuff that's shot in corridors and shot tight uh, in hallways that are really narrow, and there's a lot of stuff that's shot really low to the ground that you kind of get the feel of all the skyscrapers that you almost get the feeling. And I think this is something that uh, Hawk was trying to convey is the skyscrapers, they're shot so low to the ground that it's almost like they're the ceiling. Like they're almost coming over top of you and just uh, smothering the city almost. Yeah. That's interesting. The way he sets it up, he kind of sets up the whole front end of the film to be this kind of real claustrophobic, uh, sweaty, hot kind of ghetto in a way. And then he opens it up for the back end of the film. But even in opening up, because the cemetery is so overcrowded uh, with uh, bodies, I mean, there's about, I don't know how many tombstones there is in that cemetery. Millions, it looked like. (laughs) Uh, He kind of brings it back again. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting the way they set up the whole front end of the film, this kind of claustrophobic feel. And, uh, you know, I mean, you could say a lot of things. You could say, you know, he's kind of commenting maybe with the mice thing, that we're all mice. You could say all kinds of stuff. Yeah, trapped in a cage. Absolutely. I thought that that was one of my notes. I just didn't mention it. Um no, you're totally right. And it's interesting that he uses, again, this is over-stylized as an Italian convention, or I associate it with Italian films because of my love of Jali and, and European cinema of the time. Is You notice in interiors, he uses a lot of reds, a lot mm-hmm. of blues. Yep. Well, more hot colors interior, but the exteriors, there's a lot of lush green. and he, he There's a lot of forestry and stuff in this film, which is interesting because it takes place in Hong Kong, which is so densely urban populated. And... He still managed to get a lot of greens exterior, a lot of reds interior that really uh, ramp up what they're trying to convey inside yeah. the buildings. Um, if you, uh, They mentioned lychees. Have you ever eaten lychees, Sammy? Uh, no, I have not. Lychees are really good, man. They're, uh, next time you come down, we'll have to get them. They're, it's, a fruit. Uh, they're not, uh, I'm going to say they're fruit, but they're not the kind that come in yellow uh, uh, swimming trunks, are they? Definitely not. <laughs> okay, Definitely not. I'm not eating those fruits. <laughs> I wouldn't blame you for eating the fruit or what's in the, the trunks. Um, no, but lychees, they come in a shell and you peel it off and it almost becomes like a softer, uh, more flabby in a fruit sense uh, grape. Oh, without okay. the skin. If you took the skin off a grape and it was more meaty, I guess, it's okay. kind of what a lychee is. Uh, good stuff. But we see there's scenes of, of children beating another one child. They're getting another really beating them. And yeah, again, I think yeah. it's just, again, Choi Hawk's declaration that humanity is, is pretty rotten. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's basically the same principle of uh, Cannibal Holocaust in a lot of ways. It's, uh, you know, who's the real savage? It really comes down to that. I mean, it's a, it, it's really a lot of those same commentaries, those same moments are in this film. Not so much with the, obviously, there's no cannibalism, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's it's the same kind of principle. Is who Who is the real savage? Is it, uh, you know, is it animals? Is it the jungle? Is it people? It might be, you know, people actually are the real savages, you know? <laughs> As Charlton Heston once said, it's people. <laughs> it's people, yes. <laughs> the uh, the infamous, uh, you know what's the funniest thing about that that quote is that uh, it spoils a complete film and everybody knows it. And <laughs> I find it amazing that a, a quote from a movie spoils the whole movie. Well, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. That's true. But that's become the iconic quote from uh, Soylent Green, of course. Yeah, yep. Uh, 
you get some commentary in this film, like I touched on with Westerners, placing no value on Chinese. Because there was the integration of British, or the colonialism and, and, and British uh, rule in Hong Kong until the handover, I think, in 1999. I could be wrong. Um, but like the scene when, when the one Westerner, he's driving the car when he comes, stumbles onto the four leads in the film. I'm not going to say protagonist because there are none. Um, and the woman won't move out of the way. The girl won't move out of the way. And he's inching his car over her clothes, like inching, inching, inching. He's like, he, he, there's no value to him on her life. Right. Uh, and it, I thought that was, you know, kind of interesting. Uh, well, one, once the plastic skull got into Hong Kong, everything went to hell. Yeah, absolutely, man. <laughs> You know they got him mad. They're like, "You're gonna, you're gonna appropriate plastic, cheap plastic better than we are." I don't think so. You're gonna wear armbands on your arms for what? Yeah. What for? What purpose? <laughs> yes, indeed. I mean, a lot of the Westerner dialogue was kind of bad, but that's okay. The films. That's not really the point. Um, I did want to mention the one Westerner. His girlfriend, uh, I think, was was very healthy considering this was a probably pre augmentation. Ah, yes, yes. Okay, yeah, I know what you're talking about now. I was like, healthy? Yeah. What does he mean, healthy? Uh, like, well, <laughs> now nah, I know what you mean by healthy. <laughs> she drinks her milk, man. It, it, it comes back to that thing, the disregard for Chinese life or, or Asian life. Um, yeah, yeah. I talked about, uh, well, you know, William's uh, down in, in the other room now. You can <laughs> him roll around like uh, Tasmanian, like Adorf and <laughs> everything he's ever done. Yes. Um, they also played a piece of music that I know because I've, I know the film so well. You know the, the scene when they're being chased by the street gang? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they're in the underground parking garage. That music was some of the Barry Tavorzin music from, oh, no, 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 never mind. The, the, you know, the slushy scene when they get the guy, one guy gets spooked when he sees the, uh, the white guy at the, the convenience store. Yeah, yeah, I laugh at that, that moment. Like, I need a slushy. Yeah, that, mo- that music is from the Barry Tavorzin score of uh, The Warriors. Ah, yes, that did sound familiar. Yeah, so I, I, I mean, I know that film so well. I, I, you know, that music, I just, I love that music. Uh, there's a really weird, kind of uh, a way ahead of its time house music kind of rave scene. And this is 1980. And, I, you know, this is going to sound maybe a bit silly, but I'm a bit of a house music historian. Like, I like a lot of older house music, Danny Tanaglia and all this stuff. And I don't know there was a lot of warehouse parties and stuff, but this, I don't know if they remastered this, but it just seemed way ahead of its time, this, this scene. It seemed about 10 to 12 years ahead of when stuff like that was happening, but... I don't know. I just realized, look, scrolling through the credits of this film with some of the actors that Ronnie used in this film. <laughs> oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, he plays the inspector of the political department. Weird. Oh, wow. I had to go back and look at that again, even though I told you off the air that I don't know if I'll go back and watch this movie for entertainment purposes. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, yeah, entertaining, yeah. But you talked about the cemetery, how incredible it was, how expansive it was. Mm-hmm. I think, again, that could be commentary on just how faceless everyone is in this crowd of this in, in you know such a densely populated place um my last note is you know there's the the van cleef film death rides a horse yeah and this death rides a pontiac parisienne yes yes baby <laughs> i mean those guys those westerners with their vests with no shirts and their aviators <laughs> and their guns any anytime they roll on the scene you know there's going to be bloodshed yeah it's, it's interesting it almost seems like that's how hong kong people saw the the caucasian male in the 80s yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> we all showed up as Rambo clothes and headbands and aviators. Yeah. And guns beards, and cigarettes. And guns. Yeah. Uh, it's very interesting, you know. I'd be offended if I did, wasn't so entertained. <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. But I'll kick it over to you for make or breaks. All right, my make or break is definitely the last 20 minutes of the cemetery scene. It's just amazing. It really builds to this uh, kind of great crescendo and uh, really goes in places you don't expect. 
and it's really just nasty, kind of similar to uh, like the end of Wild Bunch or something, you know. Kind of gets a little crazy and gets out of control. Uh, of course, it's not. I'm, I'm saying it's not. I'm saying similar. I'm not saying comparable to Wild Bunch. Okay. So. And 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 it's not as as honorable <laughs> to say the no. least. Like they're the opposite. <laughs> there's no honor. <laughs> yeah, there's no honor. There's no honor in this film, man. <laughs> no, none. Uh, but it, it's very. It's a. It's a great scene. I mean, it's it's a. If I was going to show people this film and they weren't interested in the other parts, and I can understand why they wouldn't be after I told them what's in it and stuff. I would definitely show them, though, the last 20 minutes or 25 minutes, though, because I think they would really dig the last 20, 25 minutes of the film. Um, yeah. As a, as a piece by itself, it's, it's pretty amazing. And uh, Sui Hark, or you know, whatever you have, you're going to say his name, you can really see that talent that he has uh, that he would even uh, he would grow upon in the, in the future with some of his other films. Uh, my MVT for the film is Hark. Uh, I think it's interesting watching these Category 3 films he did you know, what he would have become. You know, he actually made children's films. In the, in the, yeah, he made Zoo Warriors, right? Yeah. Yeah. And some of the other stuff. Was that the one with the kangaroos or uh, kangaroo looking things? So. <laughs> I don't know. I, I could be just saying that off the top of my head, but who knows? But he's made some interesting films and some great stuff. I would give the film a 7.75 out of 10. It's a really good film, but the reason why my score is kind of low is it kind of it kind of muddles up in the middle a little bit. And uh, the biggest issue I have with it is I don't know how the rewatchability for this film is going to be for me uh, because honestly, I don't really ever want to revisit it. Uh, I know that sounds like 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 a, like I'm condemning the film, but I'm not. It's just it's so it's so negative that uh, you know I just don't know if I, I want to go back into that world that often. You know what I mean? And it's kind of the same feeling I have from like Cannibal Holocaust. Uh, you know, I, I I love the film, but I don't like I don't like to revisit it. It just it, it makes me uncomfortable. It it bothers me in so many ways, and and it's not just the animal violence. It's just the the pure negativity of some of it. Just it. it you know, I'm not that negative a guy. I'll admit that I'm a little bit pessimistic, but Jesus, even I have my limits. And, and this film is misanthropic and pessimistic, and oh, it's just a grimy little nasty exploitation movie. So if that sounds like it's up your alley, you're going to love this thing. So, yeah. Uh, but 7.75 is my score. So I'll kick it over to you. Okay, so my make or break is the early brutality in the film. I think it really sets up the mood, the tone, the motivations, and everything else you you need to understand about what this film is going to be interior from an interior and exterior standpoint. Uh, my MVT, I could have went with uh, uh, Choi Hawk. I didn't. I went with the cinematography. I, it's always been a signature of his that I think he's very European influenced. I don't want to discredit a lot of Hong Kong films. Some of them are shot amazingly well, but I think early on in the 80s and stuff, uh, he was really ahead of his time in how well he shot his films. This This is no... Uh, slouch in that department. My score is the exact same as yours. I give it a 7.75. It's a flawed film, absolutely. It, it isn't quite paced as well as it could be in spots, but I think it's a very interesting film and a very personal film. Uh, and I would encourage anyone who, who enjoys Asian cinema or is an adventurous sort who doesn't... who, who can stomach a bit of the, the violence uh, against the, the animals uh, to certainly do so. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, you got to be able to stomach it. So I think some people are going to enjoy it, uh, or maybe enjoy isn't the right word, but some people will find it interesting. Uh, I'd be interested to meet the people who enjoy it. <laughs> I don't know if I'd be interested to meet the people who enjoy <laughs> yeah. it. I'd be a little worried. Yeah. <laughs> I have like little animals in the cages in their house. Anyway, uh, okay, so that is our review of Don't Play with Fire, uh, and you can get that from Cinema Day Bazaar because uh, I don't believe it's ever had a U.S. I don't know if it's a, I don't know if anybody out there knows if it's ever had a U.S. DVD release or not. If anybody knows, let us know because I don't know if it has. I don't think it has that I'm aware yeah, that's, of. That's a good. I don't think it has either. So, 
I'd be interested to find that out. So somebody out there might know that information. But we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back and talk about uh, all the colors of the dark. So we'll be back right after this. Help NOTLP get noticed by making the top 100 in the iTunes App Store. Download us today through the 28th and leave a review. Help NOTLP. For the price of a scented condom or kidney surgery in Mexico, you can download the new Night of the Living podcast app and get bonus content, streaming episodes all the way back to episode 74, and the ability to call or email these retards whenever you want at the touch of a button. Help us. Help us feed our own egos by buying the Night of the Living podcast app before March 28th. Only you can get me that three-inch larger penis that I need so desperately. So go today to the iTunes store and get us the attention that we deserve. Don't let NOTLP go unnoticed. from break uh <laughs> i have to mention this on the air but that notlp fucking promo makes me laugh so hard <laughs> yeah I, I love it all for the price of a scented condom fucking <laughs> <laughs> that's chiz man he's a hilarious dude and <laughs> i guess he made that stuff up but it was hilarious I, I could actually hear him if you listen really closely and i met him in person so i know how he is but if you if you listen really closely you can hear him almost break up and lose it lose it at one point he almost starts laughing but <laughs> That is a good ad, and yeah, everyone support them, man. They're they're one of the heavyweights of uh, genre podcasting. Yes, uh, yes, certainly support them, guys. Yeah, very interesting. <laughs> the price of kidney surgery in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, and uh, also my favorite part about that is uh, you know make the uh, contact these retards. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so our next film coverage here is uh, 1972's uh, All the Colors of the Dark, or let me let's, let's butcher some Italian here. <laughs> Tutti i colori da bionno. I don't know. But fettuccine Alfredo. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that's terrible, I know, but I mean, Jesus, it's... What is it? What is it? Tutti i... Uh, Tutti i colori da boyo. Da boyo. Okay, there we go. I heard uh, Sergio Martino say it on the interview on the disc, and he says it much faster than me. So yeah, And much faster than me, certainly. <laughs> yes. Very fast. <laughs> The ever suave him and uh, him and George Hilton, man, they should just go out and be like, uh, they should just make a, like a buddy cop movie. The seventy-year-old studs; these guys don't age. And Luke Miranda with the sweater wrapped around his neck. Yes, 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 yes. Luke Miranda as well. Which oddly enough, we'll talk about. Uh, even though he's not in this film, we'll talk about Luke Miranda because uh, I got some notes about that. Uh, okay, so all the colors from dark. Uh, the plot is a woman recovering from a car accident in which she lost her unborn child. I don't remember any of that in the film. Uh, I do. <laughs> okay. Finds herself- in fact, I thought that this was going to go the way of inside. <laughs> yes. Uh, finds herself pursued by a 
Coven or Coven or Coven. 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 Uh, I'll say Coven, like uh, like Mark Borchardt from uh, American Movie uh, uh, of Devil Worshippers. So uh, yeah, so there you go. So this is a this is a, actually a genre that I'm not a big fan of. Will knows that, but uh, I am a fan of Mr. Martino. So let's see what we think of all the colors of the dark. All right, so this is what I wanted to see for a long time because I think it's got one of the greatest titles. I don't know why, but I love the title, All the Colors of the Dark. Yeah, it's a great title. Great title. It's just a fantastic title. Um, the first thing that leaps out uh, at me is the people behind the camera. Yep. Mr. Martino, of course. Uh, Ernesto Gastaldi, who wrote the screenplay, who I think is one of the most... And, and in fact, interestingly... Uh, Martino talks about it in the interview, one of the unsung heroes of Italian genre cinema. Uh, this guy's wrote so many great screenplays. I mean, just go back and look at uh, his resume. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Everything you're talking. from spaghetti westerns to gialli to uh, Eurocrime films. Oh, nice. uh, to, in fact, he wrote Torso. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew that. Oh, cool. He, wrote, uh, he actually wrote uh, uh, Martino's only spaghetti western, too. He wrote Kidnap Syndicate, Almost Human, some Trinity films, A Fall of New York with the Sopkiv. He wrote it as Julian Barry, who sounds like the brother of Marion Barry. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but just fantastic. And then the cinematographer, Bur -bur where is it? Come to daddy. <laughs> it is. Oh, Bruno Nicolai did the score. Amazing. I oh, mean, yeah. Some of it's a little too uh, overblown kind of culty music, but yeah. the stuff that's more typical giallo music is really good. Cinematography is done by a couple of Hispanic gentlemen uh, who I'm sure have, have oh yeah, lots of uh, credits. So <laughs> the principles behind the scenes uh, really, uh, you know, top notch. Well, I think that's the thing with Martino. He surrounds himself with good people, I think, and that's one of the reasons why his films, even though they're very B-movie, uh, very quick uh, shoots, and he'll, he'll be the first one to tell you that, you know, he works in any genre he could get work in. Mm -hmm. Uh but his films always look good. Yeah, absolutely they do. And I would say, absolutely. I would honestly, I'm going to say this, Will. I don't know how you feel, but I feel like uh, Argento was very inspired by this film in some ways. This is before uh -huh. this is before Deep Red and some other stuff. Now, there's some other stuff that Argento did around the same time, Bird with the Crystal Plumage and, and some of that stuff. But I feel like... Deep uh, Red was, when was Deep Red? 74? 75, I believe. Let me check right now. Yeah, 75. Uh, maybe, maybe. It is very, very good. It's, listen, I, I think this is what I've said before. I think when you talk about the you're Martino, I'm more Argento. Yeah. I think that Martino is more consistent and he reaches a high level of quality consistently yeah. with his jolly, whereas I think Argento has a little bit higher highs, but definitely lower lows. Well, I think the reason why that is, though, is because Argento is very much an auteur, whereas Martino is yeah. more of just a... A director, very good, very good workman. Yes, he's he works with people. Whereas Argento, I mean, it's it's no secret. I mean, he really you know believes in his vision. I have a lot of I have a lot of uh, admiration for that. Mm -hmm. The unfortunate part about it being an auteur, though, is is that you can really uh, shit the bed very easily, and and it'll be a bed shitting from minute one to minute ninety nine or yeah. whatever. And unfortunately, his last fifteen to twenty years, he's been shitting the bed a lot. But well, he should he should be sleeping on the floor. He's been sitting in the bed so much. I mean, he should be sleeping outside. He should be, yeah, he should be sleeping outside. But I mean, I'm just saying. I, I think Sergio. Uh, that's the thing about Martino, though. I mean, I think he he always seems to be like this back backup uh, giallo director or this backup uh, a post apocalyptic director, backup action director. The only the only genre that he really didn't get into that much was uh, spaghetti westerns. But he seems to be this kind of backup guy for a lot of people. Whereas opposed to me, I always feel like he should be a little bit more in the front. But 
Well, I will say this. Uh, I've only seen maybe a handful of his... Uh, he, he actually did more Westerns than you think, actually. Uh, uh, no, maybe... Actually, I'm looking at George Hilton's fucking filmography, <laughs> no, my mistake. He, he did do a lot of Westerns, yes. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Uh, Martino absolutely is in the top two or three filmmakers in this subgenre. Yes. I will agree with you. There's no disputing that. Uh, absolutely. Um but yeah, I, I think more people, before they, they put the crown on Argento, said certainly they should at least look at Martino's filmography because he's more consistent. Yes. Um, the cast is very much a, a bit of a Euro all-star cast with Mr. Hilton. Yes. Uh, Richard Steele. Richard Steele, the great porn star name. Jesus. Uh, Ed, well, Ed, <laughs> I'm just laughing at it because, you know, Dick Steele, you know? <laughs> yeah, Dick, it's right, Dick Steele. Edvidge Fennick. It's not yes. Fennich as everyone calls her. It's yeah. Fennick. Yeah, it's Edvidge Fennick. Uh, Ivan Rasimov, who's been in a ton of stuff and wears the most annoying blue contacts in the history of cinema. Now let me this. let me add that here's my thoughts on Ivan Rasimov, and he's been, he's in a lot of films. He's in uh, some of the Cannibal films. Uh, got a great face. He uh, let me add that I think he is Luke Miranda's evil twin brother. <laughs> uh, he's not as hunky as Miranda, but I could see that. You can see in the bone structure of his face a little bit yeah. of Miranda. Actually, there's moments in this film that look like they're straight ripped out of torso. <laughs> yeah. Oh, or vice right. versa, that it's pretty amazing. Uh, and I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, I know Miranda's not in this film. I know he's not in this film. And then I look and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's fucking Razumov. Of course, you know, who I've always kind of thought is like the, you know, like I say, he's like the doppelganger of fucking Miranda. Like the ugly yeah. Miranda. Yeah, he is. He is like the ugly Miranda. Uh, Nibs Navarro, who, again, a stalwart of the genre. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mr. Pigozzi, back again another week. Luciano Pigozzi. Luciano Pigozzi, he's been in a ton of shit. Yeah, he has. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, and, and the woman with them, I told my wife, because my wife watched this with me, a woman, an actress that's got maybe the most unfortunate name of all the actors working in Italy. In Italy. Her name is Maria Kumani Quasimodo. Oh, whoa. Bad last name, man. That is bad. bad. last name. That is bad, especially if she's got a hump on her back. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be bad if she gets to be older and gets like a bad, you know, like scoliosis or something. Last name's Quasimodo. That's not good. It's not good, man. Predestined. <laughs> um... Ooh, there might be a connection there with the one-eyed amulet, uh, the, the <laughs> Quasimodo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, weird. <laughs> okay. I'm cough. I gotta stop. Too much excitement. Uh, okay, let me get rolling here. Okay, uh, Martino, because we could just riff all day. Uh, I've noticed that Martino loves to open up with these bizarre dream sequences, and this one opens up with uh, a pregnant woman who looks like the town whore from Fellini's Eight and a Half. <laughs> Spread eagle, uh, with her bird's nest hair that clearly Emily uh, Deraven in, was inspired by. And if, lost. if she had red hair, I could have swore it would have been Carrot Top laying there. Oh yeah, Carrot Top. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. It's yeah, just, very pregnant uh, in the stirrups, uh, and then we get the uh, the old lady as well with the blackened teeth and the kind of doll clown type makeup costume. Oh yeah, really fucking bizarre opening. It's very bizarre. Um, but I have noticed he likes to use those openings. The dreams yeah. seem to play a lot into his films. Mm -hmm. uh, I know it does that coincidentally with uh, Your Vice is a Locked Room as well. Yep. Uh, God bless Edvidge. Um, she's always naked. Uh, <laughs> yes. I mean, just beautiful. And, you know, I don't think she gets enough credit as an actress. Yes, she's off in the damsel in, dis in, in distress. But at what she does, I think she's pretty serviceable. And being that, that screaming last girl can get grating but she always does it so well and, and of course it doesn't help that she's beautiful but you know one thing I want to talk about is her eyes because I think uh, personally I'm a fan of brown eyes I'll take brown eyes over any other color eyes any day of the week but her, her why, eyes, why, why thank you Will thank you 
<laughs> well, no, but her brown eyes, they're so expressive. And I love in this film, my wife debates me on this, and she's the more of the makeup expert, to uh-huh, be fair. I'm not going to make any comments. <laughs> well, I, I don't know really much other than the basics. I know what blush is and eyeliner <laughs> and stuff. But but uh, there's a scene, and she's probably going to yell from the other room, you're wrong. Uh there's a scene when the way it's lit, it's lit really harshly, and you can almost see it looks like they put white blush under uh, Fennec's eyes to accentuate her the brownness of her eyes, or the roundness of her eyes as well. She has very round, very beautiful eyes. Actually, her her eyes outside of her, and I know this is going to sound piggish, but let's be honest. Outside of her breast, which are probably our most filmed uh, asset, uh, her eyes are are very infamous, and they're probably they're probably the most beautiful eyes uh, I've ever seen in cinema. Uh, oh, they're incredible. They're uh, they really is her main asset is her eyes. Her, uh, she's a beautiful woman anyway, but uh, her eyes are uh, simply amazing. And actually, all the women in this, uh, their eyes are pretty amazing. Uh, of course, you know, makeup does accentuate the eyes a little bit, so I have to agree with you. I mean, it's obvious that they're really kind of putting pulling them out the way they light it and stuff. And she's always what I've always found interesting about Finnick is she's very she's very pale. She's very actually the opposite of what a Hollywood starlet is now. Well, she she's she's pale, but I don't think she's ghostly pale. No, no, no. But I'm just saying, nowadays everybody's so tanned and fucking you know Stalloned up. Even the females, uh, it's it's just ridiculous. You know, whatever happened to just women looking like women? You know, white skin. You know, uh, she's very curvaceous, obviously. Uh, very real. Uh, actually, I remember a long time ago, Simba Diabolica talking about how they like her more with short hair, but I actually like no. her more with long hair. Yeah, I'm always a long hair guy, short hair. She looks okay. I mean, she's a beautiful woman, even with short hair. But I'll take long hair. And you're right about you're right about her being uber talented because a lot of people don't know this about her, especially people who listen to the show. They might not know that she's actually a very, very good comedic actress. Well, that's just it. She's a great. She did a lot of comedic films. She did the Jolly. She did a lot of stuff. And she's. I'm not listen. I'm not saying you know she's uh, a new gamey or some you know awesome european actress but she's good she's better she's good or she's she's better than uh i think she gets credit for i think she gets dismissed too much because of her beauty alone yeah and but she carries weight her beauty carries weight i mean when she's on oh. when she's on camera you cannot look away yeah no yeah, absolutely so pretty amazing uh the cinematography as always first class with the martino film there's that fantastic moment when they're in and this takes place in england yeah um where Hilton, he's he's the traveling uh, pharmaceutical salesman. He leaves, and you can see that the camera shoots to a, a window that opens, and there's a woman in there, and then the second window, the drapes open, and Fenix in there, and then the camera loops around at the top of the building and follows Hilton as he's going down the street. Uh, just a really, really impressive sequence that I, I I don't know how they, if they shot it with a crane or what they did, but... Yeah, um, I love that shot where uh, she's looking out the window, Fennec is, and she's looking down at her husband, and she sees him looking up at another lady. I, thought, I love yeah. that shot. It's fucking amazing. It was amazing. Uh, let me ask you this, Sam, because it's something I've wondered a lot lately, the past few weeks especially. Um, what do you prefer? And I'm going to put this out to our listeners. Slashers or Jali? Hmm. As a whole. Uh, Pick one. Uh, well, I, I'm, I'm going to have to go... For me, it's going to have to be Slasher, but it's only because that's the most influential uh, moment of my childhood. So it's more of a nostalgic reason, something that I don't really like to talk about. But as I get older, I appreciate Giallo and Jally more because of the style and the the pacing. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think... Uh, here's what I think. No, I cut you off. Let me let you finish. Well, I mean, I, I, can't, I can't really... They're so similar in some ways, but the thing about slashers is they're definitely the they're kind of like the wicked or the exploitive stepson of the fucking Jallo, you know. 
The Jallos yeah. are kind of like a, a proper art film in some ways. And, of course, they've gotten much more respect in recent years because, you know, people are going back and looking at these films now that used to be considered. Even George Hilton says on the interview on the disc that he thought all the films he was making in Italy, most of the films he was making in Italy were garbage. And uh, he even thinks this one was garbage. But, he, you know, as he's gotten older, he's learned to appreciate them more. When people like Tarantino and stuff have talked to him about them and stuff, he's learned to appreciate the art of them a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh that's the thing about Jellos. I think a lot of people didn't appreciate them for a while. And, of course, nobody appreciated Slashers. But now we're all getting older, all of us horror fans that grew up with this stuff. And we're starting to appreciate them more. I think I like the Slasher more just because of the ludicrousness of them. The, you know, the stupidity of, uh, you know, let's be honest. People in hockey masks, people with uh, razors for fingers. I mean, come on. It's just, people it's, with Shatner masks. Yeah, it's just so stupid when you really sit down and think about it. It's ridiculous. It's fucking ignorant. But I think that's what I like about it, the cheese. You know what I think? I think that at their highest... I might take slashers in an overtime match, yeah. But I think the average slasher pales in comparison to the average Jalo film. You're you're, you're right about pales that. Pales in comparison because with the Jalo, more often than not, you're going to get gorgeous women. Uh-huh. You're going to get great cinematography, great production design, great technical merits that you can appreciate, mm-hmm. if nothing else. And this one is Jalo, uh, and Bill actually mentioned this in his review. Chris and I were talking about it. this. Is only Jalo in some ways. This is kind of a this is kind of a mashup a little bit. Yeah, it's a bit of a psychological thriller because the line between reality and dream and fantasy was really swirling and blurred and there's an occult thing. You don't know if it's psychological damage. You don't know if it's due to this occult uh, experience. It really goes all over the place, yeah. which I think is, is you know, you got to give credit where it's due. The screenplay, again, getting back to uh, Gastaldi uh, and Cianelli, another uh, gentleman who wrote the English version, uh, well, I guess he was just cribbing Gasoli's Italian, but uh, it's just fantastic because they got a lot, so many layers of stuff here. And like I said to you, I had thought because I'd never seen this before this week, I had thought that this was going the way of Inside, and um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see any more than that because I don't want I don't, I don't want people to be to eliminate a, a red herring. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Uh, so yeah, but uh, I want to jump into the the. Jane's dream sequence, the, the, the dagger they keep showing. Yeah, um, yeah that dagger shows that, that's, that's, The letter opener. <laughs> the letter opener. Yeah. It's a theme with, with a lot of Jali where uh, childhood trauma or trauma from past life or perception of, of what took place uh, comes to the surface. And the blood on that dagger was pretty brutal, man. Like it was thick and just the right consistency. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, it was really good. You really got to pay attention to the film. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of little... Like a lot of, it does have those giallo elements, I will say, because it has a lot of twists and turns, and you got to pay attention to what they're saying to each other. You do. Because you will get, if you do not pay attention, you will get confused. There was one moment where I wasn't paying attention. I was kind of, I was doing something. I might have been moving some stuff around in the room I was watching it in, and I looked up and I'm like, what the, what the fuck's going on? I had to rewind it and go back. You do. You're absolutely right. You got to pay attention, uh, or else you're going to kind of get a little lost in the shuffle. Something I think Martino maybe does better than Argento is the building of tension during a scene. Um, uh, maybe our is a little more stylish, but our uh, uh, Martino builds tension so incredibly well. Like the scene in the subway. Um, oh, yeah. When Rasmus walking where the lights are going on and off, and every time they go off, he's getting closer to her. And on yeah, he's and he's setting, he sets it up really well. He sets it up that oh. first time with everybody on the subway car. You know, the lights are going out. They're in the, the, the tunnel, those English tunnels that they have for the subway there. Uh, yeah, it's going out, and I'm thinking something's going to happen on the subway train, but I don't know what. 
Oh, yeah. It's just, I mean, it really, listen, I've seen a lot of films, a lot of uh, horror films, and to still kind of get my my pulse going a little bit yeah, as yeah. I'm watching a scene, it, it's a testament to how well he does tension. And tension's hard to manufacture. You and I have talked about that before. It's it's one of the hardest things, I think, to manufacture in a film is to manufacture tension. I mean, that really is an editor and a filmmaker building that because they're taking nothing and making you, putting you on the edge of your seat. That's hard to do. Oh, yeah. And then the scene with the staircase and the elevator, the first scene, I think was a masterclass in intention building. Yeah, I mean, there's some really great oh mo- there's some God. great moments in this film where he he really puts you on the edge of your seat. I mean, I again, I mean, I just I'm amazed all the time that uh, you know, I mean, I'm not I, in our circles. Martino's mentioned, okay, uh, in 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 our you know our group of film friends and fans, Martino's going to be mentioned. But go go look at uh, go look at any horror magazine. Don't, then very few of them are going to ever mention Martino. Which is a shame. He should be mentioned alongside the greats of genre cinema. Uh, call me old-fashioned, but if I was stressed and had anxiety and psychological issues, I don't think that getting associated with practitioners of the black arts <laughs> yeah. would probably be the best solution. I mean, you're dealing with the Noxzema crew and Peter Press-on nails. I mean, come on. Oh, that fucking guy, man. Like Peter That's O'Toole with the... <laughs> With these stupid long, you call them candle putter outers or something. <laughs> yeah, uh, candles, uh, I don't know what the fuck called. I don't know what those things are called when you put candles up. They're, they're called ridiculous. That's what they're called. <laughs> and he'd always make sure he had them out. And it seems like every time he shows up, he he has to turn around to camera with his hands open and his you know his chest out and that amulet around stupid his neck. amulet around his neck and his yeah. porno goatee. Yeah, and of course, you know, he, he's, he's the luckiest man in the film. And of course, he's a terrible kisser, too. He's one of these Italian oh. actors who doesn't kiss. He just opens his mouth and rubs it all over people's and, faces. Yeah, and that's what I, that was my next note. A cult leader had a good gig. <laughs> he did have a good gig. If ever I... wave his wave his stupid press on nails around and gets to make out with naked chicks throughout the film. And he does uh, sacrifice just to warn anybody. It's not real this time, I don't think. But uh, there's a sacrificed puppy. I, I don't think it was real either, but it looked good. Yeah, like it did. It, it looked real. Yeah, and it, it was yeah. it was bothersome because not only was it a dog for me, but it was a fucking puppy. I mean, that gets yeah. to anybody. <laughs> Yeah, that's when when you would think Jane Fennec's character, I'm like, okay, fuck this noise, I'm out of here. Yeah, you would think so, but evidently, whatever's bothering her is bothering her so bad that she's just willing to go with it and then get yeah. uh, gang raped, basically. Yeah, yeah, by a bunch of Nagzima wearing leering people. Uh, <laughs> Martino really starts to blur the line when you get the dream, and is it a reality? Is it a dream? Is it reality? And you don't know what's going on, and if you should, and it, it builds up more tension because you don't know if the stakes are high or if there's no yeah. stakes. Yeah. yeah, and he does a really good job with that. Uh, he does a really good job at, at some product placement with the JMB, of course. <laughs> yes, of course, it has to show up. I mean, it's gotten to the point now that I look for it every time we watch a film from the '70s from Italy. It is the Easter egg of Italian cinema for it us, really I is. think. It really, I don't think there's one Italian film we've watched from this era that doesn't have J&B in it. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Uh, Fennec's Eyes, again, there's just some scenes. They're fantastic. Uh, yep. And uh, You know what the hottest scene in the film is, though? The hottest scene in the film for me, and she's, she's bare-ass naked quite often in this film, yeah. but I think it's much hotter when she's in the shower with that shirt on. Yeah, no, I know, I know. And that shirt's clinging I, to the body and stuff, and you can see through it and stuff. Or something. So, uh, I don't. I mean, of course, I don't understand the logic of why she would take a shower with that shirt on, but it works for me. I can tell you that right now. Oh yeah, no, fantastic. It's it, you're absolutely right. If I was Hilton, um, I'd never leave home. No, or travel. <laughs> I'd I'd be I'd be uh, you know working the phones and trying to mail out orders from home. Yes. <laughs> uh, as much as the kills in this are few and far between, this tension and the style and the blurring of reality is what really sustains this film. You yeah. need a high body count if everything else is done well. Yeah, yeah. 
And I love that Fennec wears the Miko Kaji female prisoner outfit with the black <laughs> trench coat, the black slacks. All she needed was that black sun hat. Yeah, yeah, that is awesome. There's a lot of, a lot of throwbacks. You get the the uh, the Italian uh, the trench coat too, with the uh, Razumov walking around with that fucking trench coat all the time. Yeah, I know. a lot of Italian cinema. Even uh, Mr. Silva himself in Crime Busters walking around with a trench coat. I could get me one of those. I know we do, man. <laughs> uh, there's a dummy as which I know you would appreciate. Oh yes, I did appreciate that. Naturally. And the last note I have, and it was a note I wanted to make early on in the film when I saw the similarities, but I'd forgotten about it until I watched some of the Martino um, interview when he mentions Rosemary's, Rosemary's Baby being an influence, which I think is very evident in this film. Yeah, it's very obvious that uh, Rosemary's Baby is an influence. So I think if people really dig Rosemary's Baby, I think that this is a nice, nice, nice companion piece to that. And it's pacier and more stylish. We call me blasphemous, but it's pacier no, and more stylish than Rosemary's Baby. I prefer this over Rosemary's Baby because of the paciness. This is only uh, about a 90-minute film, 95-minute film. So. Yep, no, for sure. It moves for along sure, at a good clip. I'll, uh, I'll kick it over to you. I'm curious to, to see what you think about it. All right, it so I think this is the first time Edvige Finnick, Finnick has been on our show, right? Yeah. She's not really one we cover that often, but I know Bill and them, you guys that listen to both of us, I know they talk about her all the time. Bill's kind of going through a Finnick... Uh, revival right now in his own personal life, and in other words, that means he's really stroking the pole lately. So uh, you know that. But I, I, Hilton's been on the show before, Raiders of Atlantis. But is that the only thing he's been in? All Sorry, the, uh, Hilton's been on the show before, but I think yeah, with Raiders. But I don't know if he's been in anything else. Which is pretty done. crazy when you think about it, because he did a lot of films in Italy, and I can't believe he hasn't popped up in anything else we've done yet. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I know he because he's so everywhere in in. Uh, Italian genre cinema. And it's weird, too, because Razumov, he's actually, I was looking at him, too, and I was like, I know Razumov. And uh, I was like, I know he's popped up on our show before, but then I looked through his filmography, and oddly enough, we haven't covered any. I mean, we're going to, but we haven't covered any other films with Ivan in it. So, uh, Yes, we have. Oh, and it have was we? also the film Hilton was in, Raiders of Atlantis. He played Bill, the uh, the, the, the <laughs> oh, <wait. laughs> your buddy. Well, fuck, I can't remember that. That's been a long is, time ago. <laughs> isn't that funny, the Raiders connection? Because we also got Crystal Skull on this episode in a Chinese film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so fucking weird. <laughs> I know. Uh, I like the score to the film. This is uh, Bruno Nic- Nicole, uh, Nicole, uh, Nicolai. Uh, he uh, he did some good stuff. I like it. Uh, the orgy scene is is bizarre and it gets a little overactive and crazy and kind of stupid. But I like that music in it. I don't know why. I think I liked it. It was just so odd and so kind of uh, in your face and stuff. And uh, all the stuff in the the music wise is really good. I mean, there's some subtle moments that are really great. And he does some really good stuff with the music and stuff. And uh, I love Martino's also, uh, he's one of the masters of soft focus, of uh, mm. pulling things in, uh, out of focus and stuff, and, and, and using soft lighting and soft focus and stuff. I mean, he's really, really good at that. We saw that in Torso as well, but here you see it. And this is actually, I think, I would argue this may be one of his best shot films. Uh, yeah. The transfer's really good. I hear a door knocking there. <laughs> you have William trying to kick in the door, waving the 4-4. All the colors of the little William. All the colors of the diaper. <laughs> oh, no. That's, as you've told me, that can be a lot of colors. Yes, it's like a, yes, yes. We'll spare the gory details. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, okay, so, you know, once you get to the crazy orgy, things start going, and, and we don't really delve that often into black magic and stuff. This is actually a genre I don't care for, the kind of satanic, uh, just because of the ludicrousness of it. And, and <laughs> I, I totally agree. It's just so ridiculous. Like, I just want to punch these, these skinny occult leaders in the face. Yeah. Like, just buzz off. Yeah. I mean they're they're so ridiculous, you know, they're never yeah. scary. They're always just kinda like these these you know, they always remind me of the dudes that nobody talked to in school or something, you know, that needed yep. something or it's just you know, they're outcast and it just it it looks ridiculous. And there's this really weird shuffle they do. 
Oh the, yeah, the group they do like four to the left and then four to the right, and I it's counted like it. I counted it. Yeah, <laughs> I counted it each time because I was like, I'm going to make sure he sticks to this. And sure enough, it'd be four steps to the left, then four steps to the right, and then four steps to the left, and then four steps to the right. And I'm like, well, even you know, even the whitest of white dancers can get this to move down, so it's not that big a deal. So, I wonder if there was some numerology tied into that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, there might have been. I mean, I don't know. I, I like to have that necklace that uh, the leader had. The triangle yes. <laughs> with the, the eye on it. I like to wear that yeah. everywhere I go. <laughs> yeah, but we don't delve into that much, and that's the reason why is because I, I'm I'm I mean you won't see it from me very often because I'm not a big fan. I, I I don't really I mean I like Rosemary's Baby for what it is. I don't love it. Uh, I don't really like uh, satanic themes in films because they don't do anything for me. Uh, I'm not a religious man by nature. Uh, don't believe in one deity over the other, good or evil. So. Uh, it's really hard for me to get behind people who, you know, quote unquote, worship Satan. That's always been yeah, an issue with me. I just, I was like, what? Come on. It's you know? just ridiculous. <laughs> it's just so silly, you know. But, you know, it is what it is. And for those of you out there who do believe in Satan, I don't mean to offend you, by the way. I mean, there might be some of those out there. I mean, I, we don't ever say that on the air, but for those of you who believe in any religion, I don't want to offend you. It's just my personal beliefs. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm looking at Quasimodo. Uh, listen, uh, I, I, you know what? If you believe in Satan, I'll say it on air. I don't care if I offend you. I think you're a moron. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of... I'm sorry. I don't... Uh, listen, otherwise, I don't care what religion you are, but listen, <laughs> come on with the, the occulty stuff. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. It is kind of silly. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, moving on. Uh, a lot, you know, a lot of Martino's shots have always been about the eyes. And in this, you get some really great examples of that. I mean, we saw it in Torso... And uh, I'm sure you saw it in uh, your vice's locked room, or that, that is the one you watched recently, right? Yep. Uh, you know he's very he's very focused on eyes, and this one very much so with the contacts and stuff. But other than that, I mean, also you get a lot of close ups. There's even that great close up of the guy wearing the Coke bottle glasses. Oh yeah, with the the fishbowl lens, as you we were talking about earlier. Uh, yeah. Really, Martino brings out almost all the style in this one. He brings out almost all of his his whole bag of tricks. Uh, a lot of extreme close-ups, uh, stuff that I would say that even inspired such filmmakers as uh, Spielberg, Lucas, Coppola. They all saw this film because I've seen some of those those these moves in uh, in those films. Oddly enough, mm-hmm. there's even one focus pull that's sim- uh, similar to the famous focus pull in uh, uh, Jaws with Roy Scheider. So, oh yeah, some good stuff in here. I, I really, you know, that's really basically when I cover these Martino films. That's the reason why I like covering them. And of course, Hands of Steel was not one I was familiar with, and I'm glad you picked it, but. You know, when I covered Torso, it's you know it's one of my favorite Giallos. Uh, this one is Giallo influenced, but it's also, you know, occult influenced and stuff. And but it's always fun to talk about Martino for me because I really, really appreciate him as a filmmaker. Uh, he's one of my favorite of the Italian filmmakers. He's up there with uh, the underappreciated Sergio Cor- Corbucci, obviously. And uh, I'm I'm glad when we can talk about his films because I hope that more people go out and pursue his stuff. Uh, because I don't think people talk about him enough. I really don't. The only other show I can remember who talked about him and appreciation a lot is uh, F13 because he actually is a huge Martino fan. And uh, Hans, is a, he, he's actually an Argento fan, but me and him have bickered back and forth before about, you know, are you an Argento or are you a Martino? Are you a tomato or tomato? So, yes. And, uh, of course, I'm, an Arg- I'm a Martino and you're an Argento, so it makes for interesting podcasting. You're a jet, I'm a shark. <laughs> yeah, Let's wrap our hands in chains and knife fight dance. Yes. <laughs> Like Big Ape in 2019. Yeah. <laughs> George Eastman himself. Yeah. He always comes up. Uh, but yeah, that's basically, you know, all my notes. I mean, I also want to say that I really, really love that uh, that fucking house that she ends up in for like a witness protection type thing almost. Oh, yeah. That fucking house is outstanding. It's a beautiful fucking house. Yeah. And I really like when uh, she wakes up 
and she's walking through that house, and you get this weird, uh, you know, mannequin-inspired scene. So weird. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew that was coming. <laughs> it was so fucking weird. weird. <laughs> yeah. So weird, man. But uh, yeah, that's all my notes on all the colors of the dark. I just want to say that uh, Bill and Chris they did a good job of covering it too, and it's really a total accident that we covered the same film this week. It just didn't it didn't happen. But uh, hopefully, everybody enjoyed the coverage. So I'll kick it back over yeah. to you for maker breaks and stuff. Okay, my make or break is the first sequence in the elevator. Like I said, it, this uh, and and actually, Martino talks about this in the interview. They went to Ireland. They couldn't find a building that he wanted, and he said it was essential to have a turn of the century elevator. It had the glass top with these wrought iron stairs going up and up and up and up and up and up in a square, mm-hmm. all the way up to the top of the building. Yeah, and you see the feet, and you you don't know if uh, who's coming up the elevator, and she's being stalked, and blah 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 blah, and just a fantastically done a sequence from a technical standpoint and from a thrilling standpoint. Right, so right. I really love that scene amongst many. Um, my MVT is Fennec. Um, nice. It, it could be, what did I put here? Oh, it could, oh, as I said here, she could be a harpy. Her character could have been annoying. You know when you get characters that have that that uh, trauma, that meltdown psychologically, uh, it can be very obnoxious and just ugh, enough already. Yeah, and, and you know what? You know what's funny? I was thinking about this while watching this film. You notice when uh, actresses win the Best Actress Award, they tend to always, after they win that Best Actress Award, they tend to always do a film where they go hysterical. I don't know if you've yeah. noticed that, but I've noticed that when an actress wins an, an Academy Award, they tend to always go back and do like a horror film or something like that to kind of show how talented they are, how far they can go over time. I'm thinking of like Holly Berry and Gothica or... Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, I'm thinking of somebody, Hilary Swank, and that, uh, was that one, The Reaping or whatever? I don't remember what it was called. But yeah. it's really weird to me that that's the way we... That, I don't know if they think that way or if they think that's where the strongest roles are for females. But anyway, what I'm basically getting at is that Finnick does it correctly in this film because you're right. It's so easy to become obnoxious acting like that. Oh, yeah. And she never does in this film. Oh no, you're right, and you know part of it's because I think we're blinded by her beauty, but she never yes, does. And I got to give credit where it's due. She could be annoying, and she's not. Uh, my score for the film is a seven point five out of ten. Really like this film, rock solid Jallo. I highly recommend everyone check it out. Yep. Um, again, all the technical aspects are there. Um, it's yeah, great stuff, man. Again, everyone check it out. Did you say what did you say the score was again? Seven point five. Nice, nice, nice. All right. Um, okay. So uh, I also want to say that Edward Edward Finnich, uh, Finnick from uh, Finnich, Finnick from uh, from behind. It's obvious she's not a fan of the bikini wax. Anyway, <laughs> going forward, <laughs> talking about Australian mate, I'm a fan of the bush. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, okay. So my make or break. I'm going to go with the ridiculousness of the orgy scene. I love the style that it's shot in. I don't like the people in it, but I. I love the craziness of it, and uh, even to the fact that they kill a puppy. I just think that it takes some balls. <laughs> and, you know, I, I laugh at it because it's just so ridiculous. I mean, it's 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 really out there. These uh, this black mass scene, and uh, it's really fucking out there. But uh, I really like those scenes. I could have went with a number of scenes for Make or Breaking this. There's a great number. The one you mentioned is great. There's another great elevator scene at the end. There's two great elevator scenes at the end. Yeah. Uh, there's uh, another great dream sequence in the middle somewhere. There's there's just a ton, a ton of great make or break type moments. There's a lot of making and not a lot of breaking. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Oh, oh. Will send me something over the thing. Announce it on air. <laughs> you want me to announce it on air? Yeah. We'll see what it is. Let's see. Richard Greco looking hot. <laughs> oh. Well, now now we're gonna have to. I'm gonna have to download this and look at it. 
It's his 45th birthday today in honor of the Greco. <laughs> the Greco is looking hot. Say, so that's downloading. <laughs> okay. So anyway, uh, yeah, okay. So my maker, my, my, I'll talk about the maker breaks. My MVT for the film is Finnick as well. Uh, I could have went with Martino on this because I do think it's one of his best shot films. And I could actually go with their, their kind of working relationship here because it's pretty good. And she actually dated Luciano Martino, who I think is uh, Sergio's brother. But Oh, no. Oh, I think I knew that. She was his mistress. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know they had a romantic relationship. Uh, let me let me hang on. I gotta look at this Richard Greco picture here. Hang on, guys. Uh, we're opening file, Mr. Greco. Come on, where you at, buddy? It's taking it a minute to open up here. We'll listen that to Matt Suzaka. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll make this the uh, the photo for the show. Whoa, <laughs> whoa, whoa. <laughs> wow, that's a uh, homoerotic and strange. Yeah. <laughs> He's 45 today? Yeah. Obviously, he's not 45 in this picture. No, and he's many years removed from 21 Jump Street, unfortunately. Yeah, Mr. Cool with his cigarette. I thought he was going to be a big star. I really did. but uh, I think he thought he was going to be a big star. <laughs> Didn't work out. <laughs> anyway, getting away from Richard Grieco. Uh, yeah, my MVP is Fennec. Uh, my score for the film is a solid 8 out of 10. I think this is one of Martino's best. Nice. Uh, really good stuff. Uh, I recommend anybody check it out, especially if you like Italian cinema. This one kind of goes under the radar a little bit as opposed to some of the other Giallo-inspired or Giallis. So I advise everybody to check it out. Good stuff. So I think that's uh, that's it. That's everything. So I think we'll take a break, and uh, we'll come back with some feedback. Sound good to you, Will? That sounds fantastic. All right. We'll be back right after this. One of the defining moments of Better in the Dark was episode 12, What Made Haddonfield Great, when Tom DJ reviewed and discussed all eight of the Halloween films at the time. It was the longest episode at that moment, and also was an experience that broke him utterly. Now, in May of 2010, it's Derek's turn. <laughs> Say what now? You think you've got what it takes. This May, Derek Ferguson tackles the entire Nightmare on Elm Street series. Yes, even the one with Roseanne Barr. That's right, folks. For your enjoyment, your edification, and your eternal gratitude, I am going to take the plunge, and I am going to attempt to encapsulate the entire history of Nightmare on Elm Street, the series that gave us Freddy Krueger. That knife-wielding maniac who turned from a rabbit, hideous, child killer, into a chuckling... <laughs> sadistic anti-hero <laughs> that we all grew to love and admire. That's right, I'm going to do it. All eight Nightmare on Elm Street movies leading up to the remake that's going to be coming out with Jackie Earl Haley as the new Freddy Krueger. Better in the Dark. What made Springfield famous? Coming soon from Earth2.net and BITDSite.com Every town has an Elm Street. We are back with some listener feedback this morning. So, 
Let's uh, let's get rolling on it. Hopefully, uh, we can uh, stay. Uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for here? Consistent through it and not get too uh, tangential. Yes. <laughs> okay. So the first one is one that was sent two weeks ago from the metal one, but we didn't want to read it with the metal one on air. Yes. Professing his uh, masturbatory habits of the sad turtle. So <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> spare him the awkward moment. Um, okay. So it says William. Rick and maybe even William Jr. Nice. Hopefully, what I uh, write will make more sense than what I just sent you for audio feedback, and that'll come up later on. Uh, again, curse you, springtimeish cold, and the one and the two. <laughs> Hair metal, both the music and the videos from the 80s, is just gloriously decadent. How oh, I miss those bygone times. I will agree that early Seagal films are pretty quality viewings. I think he's an action star. I think he is an action star. I fell off my personal map when I went to see Undeadly Ground. You remember that really horrid environmental message movie with Michael Caine? <laughs> and according to the IMDb, Stevens apparently a Lansing, Michigan baby. Why doesn't my state advertise that fact? <laughs> <laughs> All I'm going to say is I'm glad my Maggie Gyllenhaal talk is getting some supporters. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> Will, you are 1,000% correct in that Teddy from Friday the 13th Part 4 is a complete fucking tool. No wonder Crispin Glover was more attractive to have sex with in comparison, even with his dry heave dance stylings. As explained on Twitter, in response to my hacking, I may not only be 24, I may not be gifted with the anatomical details of being a female, but being truly hor- or being horny depends completely on the situation at hand. Yes. So one out of three hacked factoids stands true. <laughs> I wouldn't. I, I would say can't wait to see what's coming up next. But hell, I'll be coming up next. Yeah. Hope the audience is ready to deal with my dumbass twice in one week. <laughs> Thanks again for letting me in on the GGGMC party, and I'm looking forward to what impression the mechanic leaves on me. Take it easy, gents, and I'll talk to you again soon. Sincerely, Metal Mikey. Yes, one out of three hacked factoids. I love the <laughs> one out of three ain't bad. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> Yes, we had a lot of fun, Mikey, on the show. It was a good show, man. Yeah, it was a really good show. Um, very quickly, um, he just he's just firing on all cylinders here. I agree with this thing about the '80s hair metal being gloriously decadent. Uh-huh. Um, Teddy, I've already talked about the hacking thing. Oh, before I forget, Sammy, I have another woman that I thought of that I really find enchanting um, that maybe isn't conventionally beautiful. Yeah, is it Snow White? Yes. <sighs> <laughs> um, <laughs> did you find that uh, that magazine of uh, amateur art between the mattresses when you were here? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. I was like, Disney's, that's that's Jasmine and the genie, the Bukaki, Disney Bukaki uh, <laughs> Volume One. Um, no, but uh, Franco Potente. Ah, yes, German yes. Actress. Yeah, yeah. No, I I like her. I like her. Yeah, I really like her, man. Ever since Run Lola Run, I've kind of. I really dug her. I think, you know, because she played a character that was clearly very uh, favorable, mm-hmm. doing something to save her man, and, uh, despite, you know, resistance. Uh, and then even in Blow, I thought she looked really good. And Yeah, and she was good in uh, the first, first two Bourne movies, yeah. She yeah, was in the was first, second, sad. second one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, yeah, so anyway, good stuff, uh, Mikey. Anything to add to that, Sammy? Uh, no, I don't think I have anything else to add. <laughs> okay. Um, so... The next one is another one that I forgot to read last week. It was funny, you know, you and I were talking to him. You go, fuck, I forgot to play this voicemail. And yeah, I said, no, okay. I smacked my forehead because I forgot to play this or read this email. And I'll uh, apologize for that when I get ready to play the voicemail here in a little while. And I'll ap- apologize for this since I'm about to read it. This is from good, good friend of the show, Quint. 
And uh, it says, greetings, gentlemen. I just want to congratulate you on your interview with Mike Malloy about his Eurocrime documentary, which I can't wait to see. It was great to hear you and Mike discussing this sadly underrepresented genre and to hear your in-depth in -depth discussion. It was entertaining and enlightening. You guys should do DVD commentaries. On a different note, I'm glad to hear it's not just me that was also into Peg from Married with Children. Yes. <laughs> she was a MILF before MILFs were invented. Yes. Also, Tilda Swinton over Maggie Gyllenhaal. In the words of Miles, what? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> it was great to hear you playing some LL Cool J last week on the show. One of the first LPs I bought was Bigger and Deffer, which had I'm Bad on it. It also contained I Need Love. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Congratulations to Sammy on your good good news. As a new father, all I can say is it's hard work sometimes, but so worth it. Yes. I've just started watching Red Sun from 1971, and it seems prime GGTMC material. Mm -hmm. Charles Bronson and Tashira Mafuni together in a samurai western with Alain Delon and Ursula Andrus. I also wondered if you've seen the Australian Revenge thriller The Horseman from 2008, which I've not got around to yet, but heard good things about. Adios, muchachos, and get stuffed. <laughs> get stuffed. Uh, the Horseman, no. That's one of those ones uh, that I've been wanting to see ever since I think the Mondo Movie guys talked about it, right? I think it's like a revenge, uh, like a fatherly revenge type movie or something like that. Anyway, I, ha I haven't seen it yet, and uh, I need to I need to see that. I, won't, I really want to see that. And, of course, it gets confused with uh, the Dennis Quaid film, which I think yeah. is called Horsemen, or Horseman, Horsemen, Horsemen, maybe? I don't know. Which I saw that it was it wasn't that great, but I isn't actually the one with Dennis Quaid is is horse H O A R S E because he's constantly in quest for a lozenge, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he is. He is pretty uh, gruff in it, as he's known yes. to be. Um, also, the Red Sun, uh, don't worry, quit. That will be covered. That's on the roadmap for me next time around. Actually, that might be on the roadmap from last time around. Hell, I don't know. It, it, it's been one we've been kicking around for a while. Oh yeah, because it was one of those ones. Yeah, the dream team up of. <laughs> Three of international cinema's greatest manly men. Yes. On one screen with a gorgeous goddess. Um, Horseman, yeah, I've also wanted to see it since Twitch talked about it uh, last year. Fuck, I've really tried to, to track it down, and I've not had any luck, so. Yeah, it's really, it's really, uh, well, it's really hidden well. I mean, I, I can't find it anywhere. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's amazing. No, oh, I know. I've been looking for That's it forever. True. It's true. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and appreciate the again. Appreciate the congrats on the uh, on the baby stuff. Uh, we're getting closer here. We're getting closer. Oh yeah, and Quinn's daughter Lucy's adorable, man. I mm -hmm. check in on their pictures. Uh, she got baptized or baptism. I don't know, maybe about a month, six weeks ago. Very cute stuff. Um, next one has a pretty fantastic title. Number thirty-two, the nipple. <laughs> it's from good friend of the show, Phil. Yes. Phil says, have you gentlemen ever pondered the similarities between Edwidge Fennick and Rosalba Neri, Sarah Bay? Uh, I find it difficult to watch any film with either of these two in that I become distracted by their natural beauty to the point that it takes me to the film and I say, what the fuck am I watching again? I mean, come on, God smiled on these two as they went back for seconds in the parts department. Can you imagine these two in the same film? I don't believe they ever shared a scene together, but if you do know of one, please share it with me. Carol Boucher, I think he meant to say Barbara Boucher, though, because it often plays the blonde opposite of brunette Rosalba in Eurocart films. Yeah, I'm certain it's it's Barbara Boucher, he meant. Uh, in Eurocult films, are real lifelong friends and have shared a few softcore lesbo love scenes in the past. But I think my penis would explode if I ever saw a film where the soft breasts of Miss Fennec kissed the acorns of Ms. Neri. 
Uh, insert classic sound clip of Simi going, <laughs> Speaking of OTC, did you have to get special permission from Bill to cover a Fennec film? Adios, <laughs> Phil. Ah, uh, yes. Interestingly, you heard me talk about the uh, the Bill and the, the Chris at the beginning of the show. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, God did smile upon those, those individuals a little bit. <laughs> and I do want to say... And maybe this would change tomorrow. But on most days, I'm 51-49 in favor of Rosal Benary, personally. Yeah. Um, you really can't go wrong, put their names in a hat, and no one comes out a loser in that one. But Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I'll take both of them any day. A hundred times out of a hundred over Barbara Boucher. Yes. Even though Barbara Boucher, she's been on the show a lot. Well, yeah, not a lot, but a couple times anyway. And maybe three-ish. Interesting. At least three. Yeah, at least yeah. three. Yeah. Uh, Black Belly, uh, Crab of Prostitute, and uh, what was the other one? Uh, not Il Boss. Um, oh, uh, Milano Caliber 9? Yep. Yep, there we go. Yeah. Seems like she might have been in something else, too. She, she Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if she's been in five of our films. Yeah, it's really weird. <laughs> it's really weird. Sometimes the people that are on the show are not even the biggest fans. I, mean, I like her, but I don't think she's, you know, you know, I don't have posters of her on my wall. I never did, you know? No. No, definitely not. She's okay. She's serviceable. Yeah. She knows Samantha Fox. Anyway. <laughs> no, because <laughs> naughty girls do need love, too. <laughs> yeah. I was at the uh, barber the other day getting a nice trim. And uh, not getting trim. Getting a nice <laughs> yeah, trim. Speaking of trim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, what's a touch me came on. Oh, nice. <laughs> I was like, there's all these kids, are, you know, uh, rolling around, playing with toys, waiting to get their hair cut and stuff. And the song's on, you know. <laughs> Oh man, I love Samantha Fox. I actually went back and looked at some of her page to rework. Uh, nice. Not too, she still looks pretty good, but I think she's uh, she's a lesbian now. Yeah, yeah. Well, so yeah. so am I. So it's okay. Yes, exactly. But she's uh, I love her, and I love her music, and I love her gloriously unapologetic trampy attitude in the eighties. Yeah. Speaking of uh, decadent eighties icons, there's one right there. Oh man, she did some work with uh, uh, was it Force MDs. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, don't get me started on the Force MDs. Oh, man. Those guys. <laughs> Is it Force MDs or Force MCs? Force MCs? Maybe Force MCs, yeah. And, yeah. and the, a few of them were wearing the, the net shirt. <laughs> oh, yes. Fantastic, man. Fantastic. <laughs> we'll have to get some of their music sometime soon. We yeah. should, man. I know we had their, their song with Lisa Lisa and called Jam, which is a, a huge favorite of ours, but we'll get it going. Um. So this next one is titled Belated. Whoa, wow. Nothing to do with ladles here. Belated Thanks. And this is from Yakuza Meshuga. Hey, gents. I finally decided to crawl out of my dark, secluded cave and share some love with my favorite podcasters. I discovered your show about a year ago, listened to everything in your archives, and decided now it's time to let you know how fucking great I think you guys are. Besides turning me on to other great podcasts, you know who I'm talking about, so no need to list them here. You've led me to some awesome films and filmmakers I may have never discovered if it hadn't been for you. I consider myself fairly knowledgeable film geek. I've been one all my life to varying degrees. I'm a bit older than you two and was weaned at an early age on genre films by an older sister who took me and my two younger siblings to the drive-in almost every weekend. Some of my earliest movie memories were seeing classics like Bullet, Easy Rider, The Wild Bunch, and The Living Dead in the late 60s and early 70s. Plus countless other now obscure horror and action films. As I grew older and my sister got married, I became a fixture at the indoor theaters around Las Vegas. And after discovering Kubrick, Polanski, and Woody Allen, my taste became a little more refined. 
I developed a voracious appetite for foreign art house and classic cinema, along with well-made mainstream fare. I got hooked on podcasts a few years ago, beginning mainly with political and science-related shows, and then I discovered Pop Syndicate. Burr, lost my place. And you guys. Uh, well, I think I, well, I always had a love for film and film news. I had slowed down somewhat in my later years. Thanks to you and other podcasts, I'm experiencing a mania I haven't felt since I was a kid. Uh, I have to thank you for the current, uh, for becoming aware of Johnny Toe and Nicholas Winding Refn and the miracle that is current South Korean cinema. I may have never had the chance to experience Three Iron or Hands of the Razor if you hadn't reviewed them. You turned me on to Cinema de Bazaar which allowed me to expand my film library with such titles as Deadlock, Rolling Thunder, and Milano Calibro 9. Through you, I've had a chance to revisit and reassess films like Hardcore, Cruising, and Play Misty for me, which I hadn't seen since their initial theatrical release. You convinced me not to eschew and actually revel in the magnificent cheese that is Roadhouse. Yeah. <laughs> you piqued my interest in tracking down some films which are not so easily obtained, like A Bittersweet Life and Funeral Parade of Roses and rekindled my love for Eurocrime and Spaghetti Westerns. I also have to thank you, slash blame you, for the inexplicable and somewhat disturbing man crush I've developed on, of all people, Henry Silva. <laughs> That's something I could have never fucking predicted. Yeah. <laughs> so in closing, me neither. <laughs> so in closing, I just want to stress the excellent job and invaluable service you're providing, and wish you two the best of luck in life, and many more years of amazing shows to come. Your fan... Uh, Yakuza Mashuga, and he had sent us a PS that was something more off the air. Mm -hmm. um, Yakuza, I know we're friends on Facebook. Send me a message or send me a message. Uh, we can maybe talk about that PS off there. It's more of a private thing. Yes. Um, yeah, he sent me a Twitter message the other day talking about leaving a review on uh, iTunes. So we appreciate that. We really do. We don't push the iTunes reviews as much as we used to, but uh, we still need to do. We, we do need to push. We well, we try to push them, but we just don't bring it up like constantly anymore. But mm -hmm. yeah, we appreciate the uh, reviews on iTunes. So anybody else wants to leave us one, that's great. And yes, nobody, nobody, including Will and I, uh, could have predicted that uh, Silva would become what he has become. We had talked about other people <laughs> as the patron saints of uh, the GGTMC uh, when we first started talking to each other. We talked about Bronson and. Uh, we didn't even talk about Eastman. Eastman, we didn't expect the kind of love we've given him. I mean, we kind of talked about him a little bit, but Silva was, I mean, he literally was not even in the conversation. No. He came He's up, almost like, um, I'm trying to think of a sports example. And then hockey would be someone like Luke Robitaille, who was like a sixth <laughs> round pick and went on to become a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I know who Luke Robitaille is. I have a I'm in. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he, he just came out of nowhere. He came out of nowhere with, uh, when we covered Alligator, and that was the beginning of our silva coverage and he's just uh he's become this patron saint and it's really weird because he kind of encapsulates everything that uh that some of those movies we love are about he uh you know i mean he's he's got the swagger the silva swagger i always call it and and all that stuff and uh yeah it's, it's really it's fantastic that he's become i mean he, he was in so many movies when i was growing up i used to see this guy in all these movies because he's a character actor so he would pop up in all of these movies and uh, kids movies you know grown-up movies burt reynolds movies he pops up in everything and uh, I was always like, you know, I used to always think, God, this guy gets on my nerves. Silva, man, he's always popping up. He's not that great an actor. But <laughs> sometimes when, uh, you know, as you get older, you learn to appreciate the things that you didn't appreciate when you were younger, right? So, Yeah. Oh, no, for sure. It, uh, it's great because, I, you know, I almost want to get one of those. You know how some people get those gold charms with, like, Saint this and Saint that? we got to have Saint Henry. <laughs> Saint uh, Henry. <laughs> 
patron saint of uh, well, of the, I guess of the top, the GGTMC or yeah, it's you know what we should do, man. One of these years, get into doing like a Hall of Fame thing where once a year we we put a couple guys in the Hall of Fame and, and do a retrospective on their careers. Yeah, 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 that'd be good. I was looking through Silva's filmography the other day. There's still some stuff in there that we we can cover. I mean, well, actually, there's a lot of stuff in there we can cover, but still some gems in there. I hope that I haven't seen. And uh, but I was just looking through it. I was like, God, this guy done, he's done a lot of work. <laughs> oh man, he he really has. But yeah, you know, as the saying would be, he really is a first ballot Hall yes. of Famer. Yes, yeah. Oh, he's a lock. <laughs> lock. That's right, man. He's a lock. Uh, maybe not in the the Mannequin Appreciation Hall of Fame, but. Uh, <laughs> Well, and ours certainly. Uh, I think that's it. Actually, I just before we forget, I mean, you may have you may have had a thing to mention this, but I just want to thank Dylan, man. Uh, outstanding. I mean, the guy's gifted. Uh, can we openly talk about this on the air? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It. Uh, we got a. We've been talking about putting an ad in the Paris Cinema Magazine, and uh, you know, I'm not I'm not the most creative person when it comes to uh, visual. You know ads and and that kind of stuff advertisement and things and uh so you know i kind of uh <laughs> well i didn't commission him because i didn't pay him for it but he just did it as a favor for us uh designed the ad to put in the new pair of cinema so you guys will see it pretty soon but i don't, I don't want to give away what it says or anything but this, this is it's suffice to say it is it is uh it is exceptional very exceptional oh. <laughs> i mean it's it's incredibly beautiful and Everyone, to know what it is, you're going to have to go out and buy the magazine. Yes, we're not going to give it away. We're going to make you buy the magazine. Yeah, but it's fucking <laughs> excellent. But, uh, yeah, those are all the emails. Let's roll into the voicemail. All right, uh, so the first voicemail, um, again, I, I got a couple I didn't play last week. I forgot to play. Doug Zom sang a song about uh, the mechanic. I'll play it this week. And because uh, it's a uh, it's a really good a really good uh, example of uh, Zom's uh, singing voice, which is still pretty impressive. And this might be the one of the best ones yet, so. But also, I want to apologize to Jamie. I had this voicemail queued up last week. I forgot to play it. My apologies, Jamie. Uh, you will be played this week, though, because I'm getting ready to play you right now. Here we go. Hi there, guys. It's uh, Dangerous Jamie here. Just phoning to have a, a quick chat. Um, last week, on when uh, Thomas Jane called in, which is great that you got such... <laughs> celebrity listeners between uh, Tom Jane and the Connery. Um, well, when Tom Jane called in, you talked a little bit about um, Dreamcatcher, which is a movie that I actually really like, despite its obvious crappiness. Uh, literally, I don't really, I don't really know why I love it so much, but it does contain one of my favourite shots in a modern movie. It's, it's not even the shot; it's the, the whole direction, the way it's edited, the way the the sound is on it, it's incredible. When um, Tom Jane is driving the car and he just drives over like a bit of a snowdrift and the sound just all cuts out and you just see the car just sort of gracefully float through the air and then crash back down. I don't know why I love it so much, but I, I really I really do love it. Um, I just think it's fantastic. It's one of my favourite, like I say, my favourite uh, piece of section of movie. Section of a modern movie. Oh, I talk some shit, don't I? Um, also, you talked a little bit about um, the Morricone uh, Giallo scores, uh, but you didn't mention my favourite one. Uh, I just wanted to put this out there that um, if you if you're looking for some great scores, uh, the my favourite, probably my favourite score, 
altogether soundtrack uh, score or whatever uh, is for it's one that Morricone did for uh, a lizard in a woman's skin mm. which is um, sometimes I really love the movie sometimes I don't it depends what mood I'm in I'm guess, I guess but um, the soundtrack that Morricone score is just so fantastic all the way through and um, Beyond that, I don't really have anything else to say. Um, there are some people who I find attractive who other people don't find attractive. Um, I really like... There's an actress in the UK called Linda Bellingham. Um, you probably don't know who she is, but she used to play the like the mother on those... Uh, I don't know if you ever had like a stock cube, OXO cube adverts or anything, but she used the mother on like the adverts for that. It was like a family thing. Um... And a few others, nothing crazy though. Uh, I can totally see the uh, Sandra Bernhardt stuff, but yeah. to be fair, uh, I'm into pretty much anything, so I'll take what I can get. <laughs> there you go. But uh, this is uh, Dangerous Jamie signing off, so I'll speak to you guys soon. Um, have fun. All right, that was Dangerous Jamie, and, and Dangerous Jamie does have a podcast. Uh, what was it called? The Gore Press Gorecast, I think is what it's called. That sounds right. Yeah, I think that's right. And uh, I listened to the first episode. It's pretty good. I, I like uh, him, and uh, he does it with a female there, Sarah, I think's her name. And it's pretty funny. It's 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 a pretty good show. I like it. Um, what was I gonna say? Yeah. Well, of course, you know, nobody bring no nobody brings up the Swinton in a positive light, man. Come on. <laughs> well, you got there's there's probably a three or four guys that that backed you on that one. I mean, you weren't on a complete island. Yeah, it's true. True. I, I don't know that. I don't know that. I don't know that woman he's talking about. I don't know her. It must have been a British. Uh, he said advert, so I'm guessing a British commercial of some sort. Yeah, or yeah, advertisements of some sort. I don't know. I have to look her up. All right. Uh, yes. So thank you, Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank and you. Uh, I, I've never mentioned the lizard in a woman's skin score because I've never seen lizard in a woman's skin. So I've heard the music. I've never seen the film. Actually, believe it or not. Uh, maybe we could check it out down the road. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, Morricone, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. He even, uh, a lot of his scores for his, the Italian romance films he did are really good. So, But it's not something we would cover on the show because we're not really into the kind of Italian melodrama. But, uh, unless Silva's in one of them. <laughs> but, <Yes>. uh, yeah, <laughs> even those, there's a lot of good music in there. I mean, Morricone's just one of the, he's just one of the great composers. I mean, he really is. He's top five all the way around. In oh, composers. yeah. Fuck. So, he's one of the best, so. All right, so next voicemail. Oh, when I is, think of the mechanic, this is Doc Zamson. <laughs> oh, hold me close, hold me tight, make me thrill with delight. Let me know where I stand from the start. I want you, I need you, but I love you. With all my heart, well, every time that you're near, all my cares disappear. Darling, you're all that I'm living for. I want you, I need you, but I love you. More than I know. (laughs) (laughs) Ends it with a touch of class, (laughs) as he's known to do. (laughs) 
Yes, some more um, Jan Michael Vincent, Charles Bronson love there. <laughs> that's awesome. One of these days, we do have to put together the the Zom greatest hits uh, as an episode on the feed, man. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he outstanding. He loves to sing. <clears throat> oh yeah, loves to fart, loves to pee, <laughs> <laughs> loves to eat, loves his dogs, loves to work out. <laughs> He's a complicated man. <laughs> yeah, he's just a man of passion. The Zom. <laughs> yes. Many passions. Although I wouldn't bend over in front of him. Anyway. <laughs> uh, just kidding with you, Zom. Here we go. Uh, next voicemail. Well, howdy, Rick and William. This would happen to be Metal Mikey, believe it or not, because I'm still getting over a cold. Fucking. But anyways, I figured I may as well get in touch with you once, because I will do so again in written form. The enlightening GGTMC, and this is for the straight line episode, or at least that's what I called it. First and foremost, yeah, large volume, your toy was kind of a bit disturbing, but Rick's impromptu Scatman stylings between that break period were a sight and legend to behold. I'm sure it was a sight to behold. Uh, I also kind of agree about the miscasting note of Joseph Gordon-Levitt as... Well, I'm not going to give away the spoiler for G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra. But yeah, he's just way too nice looking to be a villain. And I'm not saying that in the, you know, obvious way. I'm just saying... It's like that old Mystery Science Theater 3000 skit they had for Manos and Hands of Fate. Where Joel was trying to be the actual Manos. And the robots are saying, yeah, but you just look too nice. Yeah, that's the thing with Joseph, Go- Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He doesn't look threatening at all. He looks like just the kind of guy that would hope it, hold doors open and just be all squishy, I suppose. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and I think you may have sold me on eventually checking out uh, From Paris with Love, Rick, because, you know, I'm a sucker for cheesy action films, obviously. Uh, as for your content for the episode... I obviously have not seen the former film, which was, I guess, Straight Line. I'm trying to remember what the full title was. It could have been that. But I do recall once in my life having seen Possession. And this was around my freshman year in high school. Now, I don't have that much of a memory of my viewing, and it's probably for the best because... If I think back on it, I'm sure seeing Possession probably screwed me up more ways than one <laughs> with my young, fragile teenage mind that I could possibly figure out oh, yeah. at this point of day. So anyways, those are my thoughts on the wonderful episode. You both take it easy, and of course, I will be getting in touch with you soon. In fact, actually in a bit, when I write out my next bit of feedback. All right, take it easy, guys. Talk to you later. Bye. All right. That was the metal one himself. He was on the show last week, so we didn't play it. Then we put him in a, a weird spot where he was talking about us and being on the show at the same time. So, uh, but yeah, what was it? What was he talking about? <laughs> My memory is, is that of a goldfish this morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he. Uh, oh God. <laughs> oh boy, what? Uh, well, he talked about. I know. Well, he talked about a few things. A lot of them I agreed with, but. One of the things he talked about was just the, the miscasting in G.I. Joe of the pretty boys. and Oh, yeah, he said he was all squishy and <clears throat> held doors open and being yeah. squishy. Yeah, he, was, just totally, he was just kind of agreeing with me that he was totally miscast. Yeah, he is miscast uh, in the film, I think. Yeah, no, no, he absolutely is. Actually, I think a lot of that film is miscast. I'm sorry. 
Yeah, other than maybe the Baroness, Scarlet, and and uh, Quaid, they're all miscast. Yes, yes. And Quaid has the unfortunate <clears throat> aspects of saying the worst lines in the film. I felt bad for him, man. I really did. Knowing is after the battle. <laughs> I understand you got to get that in there, but come on. <laughs> yeah. You could have found a better way to do it than the way they did it. I mean, it was like a sledgehammer. Yeah. I mean, I literally went, oh, come on, right when he said it. <laughs> no, I know. Come I on, know. Quaid. It's true. <laughs> yes, it's good to hear from the metal one. And we just talked to him last week, so that's probably why we don't have a lot to say. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. But no, I totally agree with everything Mikey said. As usual, he is on point. He is. All right, uh, next voicemail. Hey, Jens, it's Rupert. Um, just uh, listened to the uh, mechanic episode with the, with the metal one. Doing a good job. Um, only about halfway through so far, but uh, liking it. Um, just a quick comment about Rick's comment on uh, Jan, Michael Vincent, and Charles Bronson walking through a wax museum. Um, that immediately made me think of House of Wax. Um, back when Bronson still billed himself as Charles Baczynski. <laughs> um, so I don't know why, but if I, if I see Bronson in a wax museum, I can't help but think of that. Um, anyway, uh, good stuff, gents. Uh, that's all I got. Okay, bye. That was, uh, that, yeah, I was just laughing about that again the other day, thinking about that, uh, because I remember everybody used to tease about, uh, J. Michael Vincent and Charles Bronson having no emotion on screen. That's why I made that joke, because they, (laughs) them walking through a wax museum is very meta at the time. Yes. Even though I think they've become more appreciated as time's gone on. Yeah. All right, Rupert called back. Called a couple times. So. Hey, Jen, it's Rupert again. Um, I was just going through. I had made um, a whole bunch of purchases from Cinema de Bazaar um, last year, and I still haven't gotten through all the movies that I got. Um, and I was curious. <clears throat> one of the ones I picked up was Stunt Squad. And I can't remember. I feel like you guys have talked about Stunt Squad at some point <laughs> on the show. Will, I feel like you mentioned it maybe. Um, are you guys fans of that one, or what are your thoughts on that one? Just out of, just out of curiosity. Um, oh, and by the way, have you seen? I don't know why stunts. I get. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, have you guys seen um, Death Cheaters? And what are your thoughts? Uh, I'm totally. I'm pretty sure that you have. Um, just saw that recently and liked it. Uh, also, another one that I got from Cinema de Bazaar is um, uh, Blood and Lace with Vic Tabak. And wondering if you guys had seen and/or were fans of that one too. Um, okay, that's it. Bye. All right, guess what? I've not seen any of those films. <laughs> uh, what was the one? I, okay, let me do, talk about the ones you... Blood and Lace is on our next roadmap uh, yes. from my end. Uh, stunt, uh, stunt Squad is something we've uh, maybe discussed. Uh, maybe we discussed Stunt Rock, though. We discussed Stunt Rock. We discussed 38 Special Squad. And we discussed, I think, Emergency Squad, which are all uh, Euro, uh, like Euro Crime Polizia films, except for Stunt Rock, which is... An Australian, as the title says, stunt rock film. Yes. Um, no, but I own Stunt Squad. Uh, I've never seen it, though. Um, it's got mostly unknowns or smaller names in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mixed that up with one that Tomas Milian did, uh, which I think is Emergency Squad. Oh, fuck, I can't remember now. There's too many squads. Yes, there's, there's a lot of squads. I was looking through uh, some Cinema Day Bizarre stuff last night, and I was like, wow, there's a lot of squads in here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about this squad, that squad. 
Uh, but yeah, no, I haven't seen Stunt Squad. I've been wanting to see it. Maybe we should, uh, like a lot of things, we make our roadmaps and then we go off of them all the time, but we just, you know, build up a nice back catalog of films to, to cover. Uh, so maybe that'll pop up at some point. I know I've been wanting to do, I've been wanting to do Stunt Rock for a long time because we haven't done a Brian Trenchard Smith in a while, so. No, I know that'll be incredible, but yeah, no, we talked to, I know what it was. We talked about Emergency Squad or Squadro Volante. Which was the one with uh, Milian Moskin and Lovelock, which is a pretty average um, uh, Eurocrime film. Nice. Anything with Lovelock in it could be homoerotic. <laughs> Great porn star name. Yes. As we've said before. Put him in the Lovelock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, but I haven't seen any of those films, Rupert. So, I, you know, again, you know, as many films as I've seen, and I know Rupert can relate to this, as many films as you think you've seen. There's always a bunch you have not. <laughs> always. Amen. Preach always. on, brother. Always a lot. All right, next one. Hey, gents, it's Emily. Uh, I am going on to the Pop Syndicate boards right now to sort of chime in on the horror rant debate. Uh, I have a completely different opinion than the dear naked Eskimo. Uh, I, I haven't seen Charity Row. I'm sure it's a pile of shit. I probably will never see it, but uh, no, it's me. I will see it at some point. Um, <laughs> And I'm, I'm not saying movies like that are any better than Friday the 13th Part 6, but I, it's, it's hard to hear somebody say, oh, I wish we could go back to characters just being disposable and we don't need story, because if you look at the 80s, there are plenty of movies like that, and they're not any good. They're fun. They're fun now, and they were fun then, but... Um, I don't know if I'm expressing myself well. I, I guess I would. I love Dead Girl. I I just thought it was a very challenging movie, and I would much rather see movies like Dead Girl get made than another. I don't know. Um, Slaughter High, which is just a shitty movie. It's entertaining, but it's shitty. It doesn't. You don't care about anybody on screen, uh, and I think. At the same time, there's films like, to me, the Final Destination films are probably the best example of that 80s slasher spirit now. And those, for me, those really work, just because they totally know what they're doing, and they go all out for it. And yeah, you really don't care about anybody on screen. You're just waiting for them to die in a creative way. Um, at the same time, they're pure popcorn, and you can't have an entire genre that's those movies. And, like, when you were talking a few weeks back when somebody called in about slasher movies and, oh, I wish they'd bring up a slasher, I don't. They're there, and that's fine. But, you know, Saw, to me, is a slasher. It's just a different way of doing it, and now it involves an actual storyline and actual characters, whether they're, you know, hateable or not, and usually they are. Um, but that's just my two cents, that... Yeah, we're in a well, we're not really in a stale state of horror cinema. I think there's some great films out there. There's some shitty films out there. There's some boring films out there. But I don't think the answer is bring back that spirit of who gives a shit. Let's just watch people die because that's why so many people then look at horror as nothing when I think it has the potential to be something like Dead Girl. Okay, I rambled. That's all. Bye. Yes, yes. She's got a point. I mean, I'm not. I, I didn't. Uh, you know, I didn't absolutely love Dead Girl, but I thought it was. It had interesting concepts. I just thought, you know, first time filmmaker, uh, first time filmmakers. I guess I should say. I mean, it, I think it's it's flawed, uh, but the themes are incredibly interesting. Yes. Yeah, the themes are the cinematography was really good. Um, uh, 
It was competent. It just wasn't uh, the film wasn't uh, put together. As well. I, it could have been so much more. I think that's the only reason why I didn't like it as much as I did. At times, yeah, it's very fucking obnoxious. I agree with what she says. And you know what I love about Emily? She's not one of these people that jumps on the train of, you know, we have to all hate modern horror because I'll back her. I don't, I like for entertainment purposes, the first three Saw films. Mm-hmm. Not going to fucking lie. After that, when Costas Mandalore takes over the reins as the dramatic lead, not so much. I haven't seen any since I think it was the fourth one when he becomes the the, the key holder or what I don't know whatever term they use for that key holder, but uh, the keyhole. You know, yeah, the fucking keyhole is right. But uh, I like them and I agree with her everything she says. But you know, Dead Girl. I just the further time goes on, the more I hate it because I think of how. They clearly had talent, but just to write the the jocks as stupidly and broadly, and and the dynamic between the two characters, the, the leads. I don't know. I don't want to ramble too much, but but I love that Emily isn't afraid to uh, state a very clear argument uh, that goes against popular sentiment. Yes. All right. Next voicemail. I don't have any more thing more to add to that. <laughs> next voicemail. Here we go. Hey, Dan Rupert, one more time. Uh, Will, just want to thank you for the recommendation of Daryl um, for me and my son to watch. That has been <clears throat> in the to-watch um, <clears throat> pile for, wow, I mean, we're talking years. I think we're going on, this fall will be like four years of movie nights, um, you know, every Friday just about without fail, and then obviously movies during the week and sometimes Saturdays. Um, but yeah, so Daryl's been on my list for a long time. I just keep, just keep getting superseded by other stuff. Like for instance, we, we, um, I keep DVRing stuff off MGM HD. Like for instance, the mechanic, uh, coincidentally enough, just came on and I might show him that. And then the train with Burt Lancaster might show him that. Uh, also, uh, they live, I showed him uh, the trailer for that and he was interested in that. And, uh, so I mean, there's, uh, there's, I just did a whole list of movies, and I must have like forty or fifty movies to cover. I don't know, most of the rest of the next six months um, with him. But uh, Daryl is definitely on our list, and and will hopefully get watched um, pretty soon. Um, but uh, thank, thank you for uh, the recommendation. Um, okay, cool. Bye. All right. Uh... Yeah, he brought up the train, but with Burt Lancaster, that's one of my favorite John Frankenheimer films. It's a very, very good film. A lot of people don't don't talk about that one enough. Very, very good stuff. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Nope. That's good stuff. Bit of a. I'm always down for some Frankenheimer, though. Yeah, some Burt Lancaster and some Frankenheimer. Yeah, that's interesting. That uh, I would have loved to have seen that HD print of the mechanic for the show. Yeah, that would have been wild, man. But, uh, well, you said there was one you and I were talking about that Rube had seen on HD that has only ever gotten like a shitty VHS release. I can't remember what it was now. Uh, can't remember. Um, but yeah, let us know when you guys watch Daryl, man. Uh, and I here I did some research. Gerald McCraney is not the father in it. It's the same kid um, mm-hmm. who is Daryl and is Bastion and in, in Never Next Story. Right, 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 right. <clears throat> but that 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 would be easy to confuse there because uh, after you said it, I started thinking Joe McGraney was in there. <laughs> Your major dad, <laughs> major dad. 
<laughs> or one of the Simon brothers, right? Simon and Simon? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Simon and Simon was fantastic. <laughs> yes. Nice. Nice. A little ode to the Simon and Simon this morning. Doesn't Isn't there a scene in that where one of them is bathing in one of those wooden uh, barrels or something? He's got his cowboy hat on, or am I mixing it up with another TV show? Thank you. Are you thinking about that, or are you thinking about the fall guy where he has his cowboy Oh, I'm thinking about the fall guy. With, <laughs> yes, of course, with the man. <laughs> yeah, Lee Majors. He was on an episode of uh, Community, which is a TV show I watch on, on uh, NBC. He just pops up out of nowhere as a sailboat uh, teacher teaching these people how to <laughs> sail and stuff. And it's, it's just crazy because there's just Lee Majors all of a sudden, you know. It's just like, what the hell? That's excellent. <laughs> he just pops up. Age, aging well, as I said on the Twitter, but uh, as uh, Alyssa corrected me, he's probably had some work done. And knowing Mr. Majors, who is quite the uh, vain individual, I would say, yes, he's had plenty of work done. <laughs> That's awesome. I love, what is it, the line in the opening for the Fog Eye? Um, something, something, I make Eastwood look so fine. Yes, yeah, something. I, I can't remember. There's a lot of great lines in that song that Majors yeah, sings. That TV show down on DVD. Yes, I love I love that show. It's it's so bad when you go back and watch it though. But I mean, it's still a very guilty pleasure, and so much part of my youth. I mean, yes. about five, six, seven years old. I remember that and the black truck and mm-hmm, good mm-hmm. times, man. I think uh, Mike and them were talking about. Maybe it was Mike. It was somebody was talking about TV shows and those times were all centered around like a car, you know, like Knight Rider and stuff like that. And they were they couldn't think of Dukes another of hazard. Yeah, <laughs> they, you could they couldn't think of another one, but one that it might not have been them. It might have been some other show. I can't remember who it was, but. Uh, they were talking. Might have been the film junk guys were talking about it, and uh, because they were talking about the A Team movie, you know, and the A Team had a van and something. I can't remember, but uh, they they neglected to mention Hardcastle and McCormick, the uh, Brian nice. <laughs> the Brian nice. Keys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I watched all those shows growing up. Man, anytime there was a car in there, I was down. You know. <laughs> oh, that's excellent, man. Well, <laughs> Hardcastle McCormick. Good stuff, man. All right. <laughs> Next voicemail. Here we go. Hey, Jen, it's Rupert. Sorry, last time. Um, just really digging um, the next voicemail about uh, Seagal versus um, Van Damme and the differences between the two. I totally hadn't thought about those similarities. The dude is just, as you said, like a scholar as far as action films go, and that's really cool. I totally respect that. Um, I want to just add, like, last night, I after the show, I had ordered a cheap Blu-ray of Out for Justice, and it showed up yesterday. And Nice. Uh, my my wife and I were getting ready to go to sleep, and I put on the movie, and she was like, "Oh, what the hell is this?" You know, like, it's, and then that opening scene comes on, and he like beats the shit out of that guy and throws him to the car windshield, and gets that hilarious credit where his face is like right through the smashed car windshield. Um, and then you know we're watching a little bit, and you know she starts she falls asleep eventually. Actually, honestly, she fell asleep right before the pool hall scene, so. We're gonna have to pick that up tonight, but but before that, she was like, "Yeah, this is actually pretty good." Like she was she was kind of digging it, so I thought that was kind of funny because she was not at all interested when I first put it on, and uh, it is it is a really fun film. So I'm glad you guys um, more or less made me revisit it by uh, covering it and uh, giving it such high praise. It's worthy of that. Uh, yeah. Great film, and and I've been on a John Flynn kick too, and I love that guy. Awesome stuff. Anyway, um, okay, bye. Rupert uh, making sure that his wife checks out the pool scene, going to make uh, pool hall scene, make her go back and watch it again. You better be careful, Rupert, because she's going to be da- she's going to make you grow a short little ponytail there out the back, brother. Yeah. Start calling so. you Gino Felino. Yeah, man, Rupert Felino. You'll be like, forget about it. 
<laughs> you'll be you'll be like cooking in the kitchen with swinging a, a pool ball around in a sock because you're making pancakes in the morning. <laughs> Get out of control, man. That better be a thick sock lest that ball flies out and, and breaks uh, some fine china. That's not the first time I've heard somebody say it better be a thick sock in case a ball flies out. <laughs> Excellent. Man. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's interesting that he this kind of he kind of uh, uh, assaulted his wife with the Alfred Justice on Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. His wife's so such a good sport, though, man. She watches a lot of garbage with him. <clears throat> yes, not to say that's garbage, but she watches a lot of um, from female eyes. Yeah, you're, you're lucky because I get a, I get a lot of uh, I usually watch my garbage movies in another room because my wife is not a big fan of. Uh, uh, well, let's just say she's not a big fan of a lot of the stuff I watch, and and sometimes she'll walk in. I tell Will this all the time when we're talking on the phone. Sometimes she'll walk in, uh, like she walked in during All the Colors of the Dark, and uh, <laughs> she walked in right during the intro. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. Let me try to explain that one to her. <laughs> oh fuck! She just must have just rolled her eyes and walked out of the room. Oh yeah, she didn't. She didn't make any comments. She just shook her head and walked away. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, my wife actually watched it with me. I can. I think I told you. I can usually get her to watch. Jolly or action films, but once you get into some stuff from, she just she can't she can't do it, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some action films are well, they're not they're not aimed at females. Let's be honest. No. Again, I'll say it. They're not aimed at females, and and yet uh, you know uh, some people don't get the homoeroticism of them. I'm like, come on, dude, it's right there in front of your face. Who's it aimed? Literally. At? <laughs> yeah, who's it aimed at? Yeah. All right. Next voicemail. You got a smile that it seems to me. Remind me of childhood memories Whenever everything was the dress of the fight through the sky Yeah, yeah <laughs> Now and then when I see your face It takes me away to that special place And if I stay here too long I'll probably break down and cry Oh, sweet child of mine. Oh, sweet child of Sandy. That's my way of saying congratulations on the beautiful baby boy that's sure to come your way, Mr. Sam. Uh, and just imagine this, I was just thinking, after you two finally retire, little William and little Sammy, GGTMC, the next generation. Congrats, pal. All right, that was Sean from Chicago, so I, I appreciate the uh, sentiment in song there. <laughs> oh, yeah, just another reason why we really love our listeners, man. Such great people. Yes, dropping the songs on us. All right, another voicemail. Um, <laughs> A lot of singing um, in our listeners. <laughs> thumb, thumb, this sounds like his intro music when he comes out in his tights. Thumb, yeah. <laughs> Early <laughs> Christmas in March, yeah. <laughs> He's got the feathered boa. This is and um, I have a movie review. Um, I think everybody has been a little bit too hard on this movie because I watched it. And I watched it with several of my friends, uh, seven to be exact. Nice. And we all had a good time watching it. We all enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. And the movie is Bitch Slap. 
Oh, uh, come on. Liked Trixie. I really like Trixie. Uh, I liked Hell. Like a little redhead action in there. I liked Camaro, which was, I don't know, that was funny. But anyway, um, I thought the movie was pretty funny. Overstylized. Yes. Did it kind of suck? Yes. Did it have a lot of big movies in it? Oh, yes. Thanks, Jackie. And I thought it was funny. I thought it was a little bit long, but, you know, I don't, it was just, I enjoyed it. It's it's like the samurai says, it's subjective, and all the rest of y'all can just, you know, I'm sorry, but Bitch Slap was entertaining. I'm out. <laughs> I heard there's this noise in the background, almost sounded like a cat while he was talking. I don't know what it was. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, you know, maybe it is subjective. So yeah, I can see where some people like it. I, I absolutely hated it, but uh, Bill over at Outside Cinema, he liked it. So uh, you know, I can see. I, I, would, I just I won't watch it. It just looks like such a lazy. Just one of those examples again of the thing that tries to be a cult film. I know I'll fucking hate it, and I know I'll roll my eyes. It's not for. Yeah, it, it's a canned good. It's a canned yeah. uh, version of a cult film, you know, and it's trying to be a cult film, and yeah. and that's its biggest fault. Its biggest fault is it it, just, it has no originality to it. It's just trying to be a cult film. So it, it talks about the thing Miles and Katie talked about so well when they reviewed that high school film that was similar to Brick. It was kind of a noiry yeah. uh, film. When they say, "Don't you know? Don't like me for what I am. Like me for what I like." Yes. And that's what that seems like. Because we had the chance to see Bitch Lab world premiere. We neither one of us had any fucking interest. Nope. Nope. Uh, I remember Vish was telling us that he had fun with it, but I think Vish likes it too. But I just, I watched it. I, I uh, it was, oh, it was atrocious. I'll so, be honest. I will never watch it. Uh, Sorry, Zom. Yeah, I don't blame you. All right, he sent him one little short voicemail after that. And one last thing. Let's go, Mountaineers! <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Very gassy, the dog Zom there. <laughs> Yes, lot of pork and beans up there in the West Virginia. <laughs> yes, rooting for those uh, Mountaineers. That's a little basketball thing there. I know. I think uh, Kansas is getting beat. Kentucky's got a big chance of winning the national championship this year. So, well, hey, let's not discount my boys up in Western New York. The juice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, I tell you what, I, I don't know who's going to win this thing now because it's just it's out of control. Anyway, uh, back to uh, voicemail. I think we only got a couple left. Here we go. Hey guys, this is Greg, uh, a.k.a. Gregory Joseph. I uh, just listened to the um, White Line Justice episode. Um, also listened to the Mike Malloy interview, which is excellent. Um, I, I love the fact that he mentions Raw Courage, which has always been kind of a obscure favorite of mine. It's actually this weird film uh, written by Ronnie Cox, um, who stars in it, and it's about him and Art Hindle as like, cross-country runners who are being chased by M.M. Walsh uh, through the desert. Um, can't wait to see uh, Eurocrime. Um, also, there's this film that, I don't know if it's finished or what, but this documentary called Coffin of Light, which is about Mexican horror, um, which I think Nacho Cerda has something to do with. Um, I'm really looking forward to that, too. Willie, you mentioned Shocking Dark. Uh, I actually just recently watched this myself on a uh, Japanese VHS tape. Uh, it's it's it is it was kind of disappointing. I really like the first ten minutes and the last ten minutes. The uh, Japanese VHS tape that I watched it on actually started with a trailer for some Daniel Green movie, uh, Hammerhead maybe. I'm I'm not sure. 
Um, speaking of green, uh, if you guys haven't seen Pulse Beat yet, you've got to see it. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's a sort of weird kind of a tallow disco aerobics uh, <laughs> comedy thing about Daniel Green being the owner of this gym, and there's some bad gym, and this weird thing at the end, the aerobathon, where it's this contest to see who gets to keep the gym, or I, I don't know. The movie's kind of confusing, but... But in the, during the aerobathon, Daniel Green has to run in place the longest. Um, there's, the names in the movie are absolutely hilarious. It's a character in the film named Greg Adonis. This is mentor character for Daniel Green, who's like this Hollywood actor named, I think, Archimedes. There's a hilarious scene of the two of them just flexing together in Daniel Green's house and looking in a mirror. Uh, wanted to respond to your review of Out for Justice. I need to revisit it because I'm a huge Steven Seagal fan. Uh, my favorite will always be Hard to Kill, mostly for nostalgic reasons. I, it was the first R-rated movie I ever saw, I think. Nice. I was in kindergarten or first grade, maybe. Nice. Um, hanging out at a, at a friend's house where I had kind of more permissive parents than mine and, and putting on Hard to Kill on VHS, and I was just blown away by how brutal and <laughs> misanthropic it seemed. Um, I mean, watching it now, it, it seems goofy, but at the time, I mean, it, just, it begins with this convenience store robbery where the owner gets blown away and... It has that sort of Cobra 10 to Midnight thing of being like a slasher or a horror film. Uh, you know, Seagal's family being killed, and, and he's unstoppable, Mason Storming. He takes like three or four shotgun blasts in that, in that scene, and he doesn't seem phased, and he's punching people with the arm that's just been shot. Uh, he asks Kelly LeBrock to go and get him some acupuncture tools, and he's writing, he's like writing this script down, and he's like, bring this to Chinatown. And it's this weird kind of Buddhist thing, but he's also this Christ figure where he... He's seemingly killed, but he rises again with this big, horrible, fake beard and mustache. I can't wait to hear you talk about Don't Play With Fire. I'm a big Choi Hark fan. Um, okay, take care, guys. All right. That was Gregory Joseph. I ain't heard from him in a while. He, he, he was uh, actually, wasn't he the last person to pick uh, listener content? I think he was. Yeah, yeah. We hadn't heard from him in a while, but uh, yeah. I think I remember in Hard to Kill, it seems like he went into a coma, but yeah. <clears throat> and it seems like he grew a beard, but he only grew a goatee. No, I thought he had a, a full like mountain man beard because I remember him wheeling around in that wheelchair, which I thought uh, Tarantino kind of <laughs> called from for the bride. I don't know. I'll have to. I'll have to look. I'll have to look and see again. Uh, I'll have to watch that again sometime. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, anyway, he's talking about Raw Courage. Raw Courage is actually on my uh, roadmap next uh, time around. Uh, it's because because uh, we were talking about it with Mike Malloy and stuff, and uh, I had forgotten all about the film. I've seen the film, and uh, since he brought it up, I was like, oh yeah, we should do that on the show because that's 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 a ripe for uh coverage there and art hindle oddly enough the actor that's in it with ronnie cox he was oddly in he was in uh, the octagon which i watched last week it's so weird <laughs> yeah he plays uh chuck's buddy in it yeah so yeah. he popped up in a lot of stuff i remember he's in porkies i liked him a lot as a big brother cop you know and in uh, some cronenberg stuff yeah he pops up in all kinds of weird stuff in the 80s and 70s so i think the film was written by ronnie cox and his wife Nice. But it has a really weird opening scene that I remember. I'm not going to bring it up now. I'll wait until we watch this film. But it's just like this really weird, <laughs> this weird moment. <laughs> All right, last. Uh, it's, sorry, hang on. Yes, a pulse beat. We did mention oh, yeah. it's incredible. Uh, shocking dark. I did watch also the Japanese VHS, and he mentions uh, Hammerhead, which we covered on the show. If you missed that episode, go back and check it out. Yeah, I would imagine the pulse beat will be covered at some point in time. Oh yeah, it's it's just impossible for it to be avoided. Yeah, uh, I can't wait to watch it. Honestly, all right. Uh, last voicemail. Here we go. Hey, gents. This is uh, Mike down in Florida again. Uh, just calling back to let you know how much I enjoyed last week's show. Um, just a few things I had. Um, 
I was thinking about the show you guys were talking about Schrader and the, and the filming on location in your town and like what had been filmed there and stuff. I'm actually from Pensacola, Florida. Um, a lot of films have been done here, going back to stuff like Midway and uh, Jaws 2. My uncle's boat's actually in that movie. Um, but oh, for nice. <laughs> pure GGTMC street cred, there is no greater film that I can tell you that was filmed at Pensacola Beach than the Brian Bosworth vehicle, Stone Cold. That's correct. Nice. Filmed at Pensacola Beach <laughs> back in the 80s. I actually remember it was a big deal uh, in the papers and stuff here. Um, the mechanic, Sweet. um, I actually watched it this week and then I saw that it was coming on this TV, which is a really weird channel. I know everybody's talking about it. Um, but they just seem to have a lot of old stuff in the library of MGM there. that are just popping on. I've seen some really weird stuff like tentacles with, uh, Shelly Winters. The one about <laughs> the giant octopus versus the killer whales was on the other night. Just strange stuff playing on that channel. But as far as the, uh, the mechanic goes, I'm, I'm down with dogs. I'm calling J. Michael Vincent, the, uh, the golden goddess. And it, it brought to mind. Um, another team that really worked well together, uh, and one of them kind of reckless and out of control, the other one that the cool, collected type, uh, that's the fabulous Freebirds. So I would say that Jan Michael Vincent is kind of the, nice. the Michael P.S. Hayes, and uh, <laughs> Bronson would definitely be the, uh, the Terry Bam Bam Gordy of that duo. Yes. Um, you know, the guy that's keeping everything in line. Bam um, Bam Gordy. Speaking of uh, wrestlers, um, <laughs> I really was hoping that Catherine Bigelow would go to the Oscars with her head shaved and flames on each side um, in tribute to Bam Bam Bigelow. I think that would have been a really classy <laughs> move on her part, but I am glad that she did win. Um, and the other last thing I wanted to talk about, um, I forgot totally because I guess I was thinking about uh, leaving a map of Hawaii on Maggie Gyllenhaal's back, but um, I just want to say congrats to, to Sam Marick there for his impending fatherhood. Yes. Uh, my little girl turns three next week, and it's probably the best thing you're ever going to experience in your whole life so congratulations and good luck with that man it's going to be a blast um anyway i'll talk to you guys later have a good show talk to you next week bye sweet nice i didn't know uh stone cold was shot in florida i guess i don't remember if we talked about that or not i didn't know that uh, i thought i thought we we'd touched on i think we might have touched on another i remember but fuck i'm trying to find the link to mike's uh, tv show that he does um where he hosts uh with two other guys there and i watched uh Watched one of the episodes he'd sent. Fuck, I can't find the link now. Uh, Mike, you got to send us that link, man, so we can plug your plug your shit. Yes, plug I mean, your the shit. Dude, dude's going to be in a comic book where there's a comic book with this this character and and some uh, regional horror TV hosts are going to be in the comic, and he's going to be in it. That's fucking awesome. Nice, nice. I didn't even know any of this. This is all news yeah. to me. So hey, you had to send me that link too. I need to see this. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's uh, what what? Why is my memory so bad this morning, man? <laughs> Lack of coffee. I haven't had any coffee at all. I, I had a, I had a now. cup, but it's been an hour since I downed it. Maybe I should re-down another cup or something. Oof. I gotta throw down some here after we do this. After we stumble. Oh, but uh, I, but I do want to appreciate. I do appreciate the sentiments again. Uh, the thank yous for uh, you know, having a child and everything. So we'll see uh, after I get punched in the nuts a couple of times. Have you gotten? Uh, Will let me ask. Uh, little Williams getting around and stuff. Have you gotten punched in the balls? Uh, it's funny you should mention that. Um, sometimes what I do is I, I like to bathe with my son because uh-huh, it's just uh-huh. easier because I'm going to get soaked anyway. Right, right. Right. So I found lately what I'll do is Mondays, uh, it's the first day him and I are together. So we'll get in the old tub brew and, and, uh, bathe and stuff. He splashes around and blah, blah, blah. But, uh, he was, 
he had this elephant that you fill it up and it drains out the trunk, blah blah uh, blah. Yes, yes. And and he was excited and he swung his foot and and <laughs> I mean he just he just grazed the grapes, man. Oh. And uh, I know if that had happened, it would have been a domino effect. Cause my head would have swung back, hit the faucet, I would have split my skull open <laughs> with my son in the bathtub. But thankfully, oh, man. my my cat like reflexes kind of pulled back an inch, which was all I needed to save the grapes. Yes, all all I say is I've been around children. Uh, I have a niece, and uh, I was around her when she was young and growing up, and she was you know crawling and then she started walking and stuff and i had a nephew or a cousin the same thing i was around him when he was growing up all i can remember from being around the young kids all the time like that is uh after i taken a couple hits i learned to uh, keep my hand in a strategic position just in case yeah whenever i play like dad. wiffle ball i could play like <laughs> wiffle ball with them or something you know something like that swinging a bat you know it's those america's funniest home video moments you know that oh yeah people love so much except the people who get hit in the balls they don't love them that much <laughs> You get that lingering feeling in your groin. It's just terrible. Oh, but oh it, man, it makes you want to throw up. It does. It's like when kids are about four or five, that's when they like to punch you in the dick. I don't know. It's just, <laughs> it's not good, man. But I punched my dad. We were wrestling because I was a huge wrestling fan as a kid, as uh, most people know. Uh-huh. And we were wrestling. I remember I jumped off the ottoman and I punched him in the dick. <laughs> I was about four or five, man. And he went down like a sack of potatoes. And, and I was still going and he's trying half-heartedly to <laughs> to fight back but he's in so much pain my mom the referee has to step in and go okay you know go over there for a minute uh, you heard daddy like, all right all right so that is all of our feedback i don't know where mike's voicemail ended up being about punching in the balls but hey that's the, that's the gentleman's guy to midnight said before you so yeah. uh, i'll let you go over our pleasantries and stuff and i'll set up our music for the end of the show here well argento had the three mothers but we have the three sisters and those three sisters are of course outside the cinema Show Show, and Rising from the Ashes like the Phoenix, Cinema Diabolica. Yes, one can only hope that this is the beginning of uh, a new, as they say, Series 2, a Volume 2 of the CD. So, yeah, Let's let's keep our fingers crossed. I'm hoping. Um, check out uh, Chinsurga vs. Punner, our good friends, Mike and Paul over in England. Uh, Cinerama, speaking of England, good friend Ian. Uh, Family Movie Night. Movie Meltdown, all the pop syndicate shows, Paleo Cinema, Action Attraction, Better in the Dark, uh, Cinecultania with Ben and Alex, uh, V Cinema, which is very cellular.net, uh, The Tree Fiat Destroy the Brain. In terms of blogs, uh, there is Paracinema. These are all, of course, .blogspot.com, uh, except Paracinema, which I think is just paracinema.net. Yeah. Um, but there's blogs over there, of course, uh, on horrorcommentary.com. Uh, we have Pickle Loaf. Lightning Bugs Lair, Deadly Doll's House, Chuck Norris Ate My Baby, Death Rattle 13, Naked Eskimo, uh, Big Suck Loser slash Dear Bastards, either or. This is Quiet Cool, Rupert Pupkin Speaks, Uncool Cat, and Ratch's Media Blog, which again is R-A-C-H-S, as in Sam, Media Blog. Uh, Cinema Day Bazaar, which is where we got Don't Play With Fire. You can get a lot of awesome stuff over there. Uh, Podcast Alley again, guys. We're getting smashed in the voting. We need. I want to crush our competition here. So let's let's try to. iTunes reviews. Sammy touched on it. Let's get rolling with a few more. Everyone, write ten words. Write a haiku poem about how awesome we are. <laughs> it's up to you. Yeah. Uh, friend us both on Facebook. We get a lot of good chats going over there. You can find us on Twitter. Although I'm, I want to get on there more, but Sammy really is the Twitter king, as far as we go. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. Twitter.com/backslash/ggtmc. 
there is the donate button on our homepage if you feel compelled to do so. Send voicemails to 206-666-5207. Emails to M-I-D-N-I-T-E cinema at gmail.com. And uh, Mike Malloy, Eurocrime Documentary, you can email him at subgenre at gmail.com to help him either through funding or if you have a creative uh, skill or tool that you think will help get this excellent documentary off the ground. Yes. Also, I want to mention that... Um I will be at the uh, Whorehound Weekend this weekend for one day, one day only. Uh, <laughs> sign, you got a booth, sign yeah. autographs. Well, I'll be there with the General Lee. Uh, nice. And, uh, and the uh, Erica Alanek from uh, Baywatch. So. <laughs> no. And Nicole, Nicole Eggert. <laughs> yes, there we go. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I will be there for uh, Saturday. So if anybody listens to the show that doesn't listen to the other shows that might be there and stuff, uh, I'll be there for one day and... Uh, I'll be twittering from the event, hopefully. Get to see some people. Again, I think I'm going to be seeing Mikey again. Uh, Randy, I think I'm going to be seeing, obviously. Night Living Podcast people I'll be seeing. Uh, I think Brother D and his wife are going to be there again, I think. I'm not positive about that one, but uh, I think everybody's going to be there. So just uh, I, I basically just go to see the podcasters. I know that sounds crazy, but the, you know they're friends, and it's fun to, it's fun to do. So When's the next one, Sammy? Uh, probably be in November, I guess. Uh, somewhere around. I'm gonna, there. I'm gonna try to go if the weather's good, or maybe I'll wait. I'm gonna hit one of these, man. We got to go together as a team and represent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're pretty fun. I mean, it's a pretty small event. It's a nice little small convention, but they show films and stuff. I usually don't have time to check out the films because I'm just there to see the you know friends and stuff. And uh, but uh, yeah, you know, it's it's a really good time and it's uh, really interesting. It's become kind of like this uh, little midwestern podcasting like uh, meetup. So. <laughs> It's really very. It's a lot of fun. So, hopefully, uh, if any of you guys that listen to the show don't listen to those shows or anything, and you you know you want to meet me, I don't know why you'd want to, but hey, <laughs> I'll be there. So just follow the Twitter, you'll find me, or hit me up on the Twitter because I have it on me at all times on the phone. Look there. for the hunkiest man wearing a Yankees ball uh, Yankees ball <laughs> yeah. cap in the room. Yes, yeah, so you look for the one guy that's dressed differently than everybody else. I go to these things, and you know I'm a 37 year old man. I'll be 37 in a couple weeks, and. I go to these things and I, I don't, you know, I don't wear the horror fan attire anymore. I noticed I don't wear the t-shirts or anything. I wear like cargo pants and tennis shoes and and a hat, a ball cap, and usually some kind of sports thing and everything. But hey, that, that's that's just who the samurai is. Yes. All right. So I couldn't think of any music. I wanted to think of something with fire in it, and I was thinking about '80s decadence. So let's see if uh, this will play, and if this but, does. <laughs> but before that plays, why don't we talk about what we're covering next week? Oh, <laughs> that'd be a good idea, wouldn't it? Yes. All right. Uh, <laughs> Are we doing the trilogy next week? Are we doing that next week? I, I will <clears throat> let you decide that, my friend. It's your call. When 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 are you going on vacation? I'm going on vacation April 11th, I leave. Okay, so we got a few more weeks. Yeah, let's do the trilogy next week. Let's do it. What, what trilogy are we doing? So yeah, we're one go- that I know we've talked about wanting to do for a while. Yeah, we're going to do the Red Riding trilogy. We uh, wanted to squeeze it in this month, so it looks like we're going to make we're just going to make the cut because it'll be the show. That show will be out on the 30th. So, we're going to do the Red Riding trilogy. For those of you not familiar, it's basically a trilogy of films made for I believe British television. Um, but, uh, they look promising. Uh, some people have already seen them that we know some of our British listeners and stuff. And they've told me that, you know, they can't wait to hear us talk about them and they look pretty dark and, uh, interesting. They're about the, uh, I believe I'm not, I might be wrong about this. I don't have any information up in front of me, but I believe they're kind of about the Suffolk, Suffolk Ripper or whatever. I thought it was the Yorkshire Ripper. Yorkshire Ripper. Oh, maybe it's the Yorkshire Ripper. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Maybe he was, maybe his last name was Suffolk. Suffolk Pete. Suffolk. 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 Suffer, <laughs> yeah, somebody somewhere is going suffer, suffer, fuck up, suffering, succotash. <laughs> <Yeah. that's in. laughs> yeah. Anyway, 
lack of research just look them up the red riding trilogy they're available on on demand cable on in most areas and stuff and so we're going to knock them out and i've been wanting to do another trilogy show in a while for a while we were going to do one we try to alternate the trilogy shows between the two of us and i think i picked the last trilogy we did but these are kind of new and we wanted to kind of cover them before they kind of really got out there a whole lot and somebody else covered them so and we both want to see them really badly so uh, look them up online. There's some good trailers out there and stuff. So I think people, I think people are going to dig it. I hope I'm going to die. I'm, I'm dying to see these things. So me too, man. Me too. It looks like Zodiac. I mean, it got really good production values. Patty Considine, a ton of actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Sheen, I think. So good stuff. Yeah. So we can't wait to cover those. So that's what we'll be doing next week: the Red Riding trilogy. So look forward to three films being covered next week. All right. So again, decadent '80s, something with fire in the title. I think this will this will do. There we go. All right, you can take a break, Will. We'll uh, be back after this is off. <laughs> we'll see you next week, so adios. Adios.